think we're gonna be all right. Fellas, what's the job description? Oh, you two. What is your job description? I'll tell you. T N T. Tactical narcotic team. Keyword. Tactical. Displaying finesse and subtlety in achieving a goal. Tell me, gentlemen, what was subtle about your work today? Twenty-two cars and a boat totaled? How did you sink a boat? We didn't sink it. Thank God, no cops died. Negative. I got a police commissioner so far up my ass. If he spits, it's, it's coming out of my mouth. But I know that there's always two sides to a story. So what's yours? Well, well, I was at a family barbecue. We got a tip that the Zopounders were going to do a hit on cash or drugs from this big time X-Man. That's what they call the ecstasy dealer on the streets. Marcus, I, I know what they call him. That's, uh, that's why I'm captain. It's cool. So you got the drugs? No drugs. Oh, OK. How about the money? No money. Well, then who's, who is this X-Man? Cam, I, I was at a family barbecue, so We I... don't know, but we are going to find out. Well, then all that was for nothing. Hey, I'm Michael Bay and I am a strong believer in protecting the cinema experience. I demand things to be awesome. Awesome as you can. Back and forth and back and forth. Jake is so intense. I started laughing. That's what I said. This is so stupid, but he looked great. Oh my god, I am Michael Bay. Here we go! Ready and fire! Hello everybody and welcome back to another Bayhem edition of the Film Effect Podcast. The weekly show that deep dives into a different film each episode in an effort to give it that full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Bad Boys 2. Alright TNT, listen up. Since 9-11 we've gone high tech over the water. So the dope runners have gone low. The biggest shipment on record is coming in tonight, and these guys are going after. They got a lot of firepower, and they hate the law. White power! White power! Whoopsie daisy, it's the Negress. Gentlemen, what is your job description? I tell you, tactical narcotics. Team. You know, Mike, I had an epiphany. I realized that God sent you here to test me. Somebody shot you? And who be you? Me? I shot you? Yeah. It's like it hit the meat. It ain't nowhere near the whole. Tactical, discreet, displaying finesse and subtlety. What are you, a cop or a model? Hey, don't hate the player. Hate the game. I hate the teller. What was subtle about your work today? Woo! 
In Bad Boys 2, narcotics cops Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett return to head up a task force investigating the flow of ecstasy into Miami. Their search leads to a dangerous kingpin named Johnny Tapia, whose plan to control the city's drug traffic has set off an underground war. And we're back with Bad Boys 2 from 2003, which once again reunites us with Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett, played once more by Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, who were each paid a substantially higher figure than what they were each paid for the first film, because, duh, each of them had elevated into stardom since the first film, especially Smith. I mean, Smith was doing whatever he could to showcase his profile that he was building it didn't always work as we could be living in a world where will smith has the role of neo under his resume but i digress meanwhile lawrence was doing nothing but schlock humor since the first film with roles in life blue streak black knight what's the worst that could happen the name of fear at the top of my head but um when it comes to the bad boys too i ultimately think of it as the perfect popcorn movie yeah the perfect popcorn movie where the first film was more plot-driven, this is an all-out display of ridiculous action from start to finish. I mean, the first big action sequence wastes no time happening, and from that point onward, it's just a roller coaster ride from hell. Just pure chaos, starring Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett. And man, it's good to be back. So, how, how do you initially feel about it, in a nutshell, Core? Um, well, okay, so I feel a little bit different about it than I did previously, because it's been a while since I actually watched this. Okay. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the movie, still am. Mm-hmm. This is, to me, the most Bayhemiest Bayhem movie there is. Like, <laughs> if, if you said, show me Bayhem, show me who Michael Bay is, this is the movie I would pick to show them above any else. I'm not saying it's his best movie, not by a long shot, in my opinion, but it, it is by far Bay, it is, like highest level of Bayhem for sure he has a huge budget in this he has the actors he wants he has pretty much everything to work with in this situation and then this is what we ended up with which my opinion was awesome now there is a few things you know we'll get into it as the episode progresses of course I will say I forgot how mean this movie is and I'll explain (laughs) what I mean by that but if I had to equate this movie to anything, I would say, like, if I had to personify this movie, I would say it's like a school bully that is like the varsity football uh, player that is kicking my ass, wearing an American t-shirt, 
and for some reason has like a t-shirt gun and shoots me in the balls with it or something like that is what this movie is like personified like if if you uh, asked me to compare this movie like or turn it into like a band it would be fucking limp biscuit on crack like it is just like crazy like it, it personifies that period in time so well like the early 2000s yeah i know exactly what you mean watching this i was just you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's my first time seeing this in a while. Because I often go back and revisit this film. I, I probably watch this film once every couple years. No joke. Um, so it hasn't been that long since I, you know, last watched it. But I, I know exactly what you mean. The more, you know, I, I get older and watch this, the more I see things, you know, that I didn't really point out when I first saw it 19 years ago. Which, by the way, let's just get into it now. First time viewings. It's, it's just that, you see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, are you with us? Opening night, day. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, it was like a big group oh, of yeah. us. I remember. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. It was, it you know, it was, if I could pinpoint the summer of 2003 in a nutshell I feel like every movie I saw in the theaters was an event because I have just memories of so many movies that summer with just a group a big old group you know uh, whether it had been this Freddy vs. Jason hell even Jeepers Creepers 2 we had a crowd with us um, Terminator 3 uh, uh, Matrix of course uh, Reloaded um, Italian Job, Too Fast, Too Furious, The Incredible Hulk, or, or The Hulk, sorry, or Hulk, duh, that's what it's called. Um, no, but just, th- this was in a batch with the other movies uh, from that summer. I, I feel like there wasn't, it's kind of like never a dull moment, you know, with that whole class of films, because every movie that I saw that summer, I just have memories of seeing it with like, a- at least, you know, five or six people, you know, sometimes more. I never, yeah. fuck man, I've never been to a movie, maybe Devil's Rejects, but Freddy vs. Jason will give it a run for its money as far as like going to a film with a crowd that, that big. But um, yeah, yeah, so you definitely were with us for this the first time because of course, opening yeah. weekend, like every movie was like that. Because one thing I do remember about this movie when it opened up theatrically is because you know Michael Bay, the director, he's got that production company Platinum Dunes, and the Texas Chainsaw remake that came out in two thousand three later on that year, the first trailer was attached to this movie. So I do remember that seeing the you know trailer on the big screen before this movie. You know, I didn't, I yeah. didn't, it wasn't like a meet Joe Black situation with episode one. No, I, I, I believe me. I went to see bad boys too, because I wanted to see bad boys too. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre trailer beforehand was just a treat. So yeah, it was little, like the icing on top. Yeah. Cause I remember being excited that for little it. extra yep. something, you know? So, um, well then shit, since we kind of both answered this one together, uh, let's jump into story time. Tell me a story. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. 
I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So I'm actually going to be using this as a segue into sort of an announcement. Um, I had this, I don't know how to uh, break the ice, I guess, uh, so to speak. Uh, no, my story about this movie, when I think about this movie, I often think about when it came out on DVD, holiday season in 2003. Um, and... Don't mind me. That's the blockbuster video nerd of me speaking because I was just at the, like the the height of my uh, just employment there, and you know, I've often went back and talked about just the, how much of a great time it was for those five or six years. And um, I guess going back to the beginning of this, uh, I was talking about a segue, and I have a project that I've been working on it's been kind of in the makings in the works in the rumblings so to speak since last holiday season when I first thought of it and um, I kind of put it on the back burner because I was initially going to start it at the first of the year after I was going to take a few weeks off but then I ended up tackling all the Matrix films and that vacation kind of went to smithereens but now um, now that I'm um, more ready uh, than I was back then. I, I kind of want to start focusing on this project. And what it is, is it's a blockbuster retrospective. Um, you know, I feel like it, the, the the topic of blockbuster video is kind of hot. People are nostalgic for it, obviously. You've got the store over in uh, Orem that's, uh, um, I, I believe that's Isn't the very like last Bend, one. Oregon yeah, or something? Yeah, Bend, uh, Provo, Bend, it's, it's all... Like that's I, I know this because the use is from that area. So it's kind of like a Nottingham Perry Hall situation where I'm from. Um, you, you consider it a couple of uh, names. But anyway, that's irrelevant to what I'm getting at. Um, so with the whole theme of nostalgia and blockbuster uh, playing a big part, of course, I often get nostalgic for it because I worked there for so long. I talk about it often on the show, and I want to do a retrospective, and I want to get with, um, I've already talked to uh, a handful of people who I worked with throughout the years, and um, they've agreed to come on and just kind of like reminisce about our time, and I'm going to do it in order. It's going to be a multi-part, think of it as a mini-series. Um, it's going to be different chapters right now. I don't know if I'm going to extend it or or reduce it, but as of right now, I have 20 chapters, so it's about 20 episodes, and I kind of have an idea of which each one's going to be about. And, you know, a good part of the first batch of episodes are going to focus on the history of the company. It's going to be like a deep dive of Blockbuster. We're going to be giving Blockbuster video... The full film effect treatment, so to speak. Yeah, and I, we, I'm excited. Yeah, and I definitely, I, I know I've talked to you about this, um, you know, uh, in the past, and you're gonna help me, uh, just kind of keep the conversation going, and it's gonna be fun. You, you played a part in that history, of course. You were there for, um, you know, a couple years, and we'll talk about yeah. all that. 
And, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. And it's it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be just me mouthing off about my time there. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to keep it, you know, fresh. So it, I want to keep the listener engaged so they're not bored with just me talking about personal stories. It's going to be a lot more than just that. And this, the personal yeah. stories I do have are worth hearing. So, believe me, we had a blast working there. And, um, yeah, it, I, it was always fun. And yeah. it's also, it, it, you're also going to get a firsthand perspective of what it was like working there. We're going to talk about the policies they, un, they unraveled over the years, especially once they said, no more late fees. Let me tell you, there's a story behind that bullshit, and that'll definitely be a part <laughs> of this fucking retrospective that, uh, I'm excited to do, so look out for it. Yeah. You know, it's probably going to, realistically, it's probably going to drop in the fall, but I want to get you guys, you know, get the ball rolling and and get you guys excited about it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be worth the wait. And um, so, yeah, to the story. Were you going to say something first, though, Corey? It sounded like you were going to say something. I I was just going to say, you know, I'm excited just because I think... Like you mentioned, everybody's nostalgia has definitely peaked for not just Blockbuster, but video stores. I think, uh-huh. you know, anybody probably 30 years or older uh, is, you know, just reminisces about video stores. I mean, it was always the highlight of the beginning of the weekend to go pick out a movie mm-hmm. or a video game or both. Yeah. You know, so I'm excited to. Uh, just to talk about that, just to me, it, it boggles my mind just how quickly everything fell apart. To think about like oh, yeah. Blockbuster was so entrenched in the mid two thousands, like at their peak in the early two thousands, to gone, you know, like not even ten years later. To me, is just insane. So I'm just excited. I think it's going to be fun to do. You know, I was only at Blockbuster for two and a half years, but honestly, that was the most fun job I've ever had. So you know, it was great. Yeah, I'm excited to do it, and uh, I'm excited to. Talk to a bunch of people who I haven't, you know, talked to in years. A couple of them I haven't talked to since working there that who have agreed to uh, come on and talk to me about it. So it's going to be fun and it's going to be, um, like I said, worth the wait. Look out for it this fall. So, um, so the story, like I said, the blockbuster uh, uh, tie-in is because when this came out, holiday season, two thousand three. I was in the midst, and you're kind of getting a, a tease. This is going to be talked about more in depth, but um, I think about the transfer. Remember my transfer, Virginia Beach? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So, it was like fucking overnight. I remember oh, you were dude. like, I'm going to Virginia Beach. Well, not <laughs> as quickly as I decided to just pack up and move down there, it was even quicker coming home. And I'm still shocked at how quickly. I was able to just move pieces and and get things together for like in the span of four hours, however long it took for me to get from Virginia Beach to Baltimore. Like I had everything like going my way because the whole time I was coming back home because we kind of came back and moved back to Baltimore. um, Just kind of it just happened. Like we were just sitting there like we hate it down here. Let's just pack up now and leave just not don't even think about it just go home we know we have a place to go you know it's home and that's exactly what we did and the whole ride home i was just making calls make sure i had you know my job back um 
you know, because my transfer didn't go through when I moved out of town. And there's a reason for that. And that's going to be on the, the retrospective. And, um, and one of the big titles that came out was this. And, you know, I was just happy to be working back with you. I got the new, new release wall again at the Dundalk store, third busiest store on the uh, East Coast. That's a fact. And uh, when this came out, it was just fucking... Bad Boys 2 had so many goddamn copies, and it was out for the longest time. This movie was so popular, not just theatrically, but at home video. And I just think about that, and that's, you yeah. know. I think in our area, too, uh, you know, because in the Dundalk area, for anybody who doesn't live around us, you know, uh, horror was always popular, and those popcorn action-type movies. Because was it a two-bay like a uh, release like I remember like some of the bigger releases you know no, you always had like day. one day one day because it, it came with that red slip if it had the red slip for the first few weeks they were one day rentals and then we took them oh, okay. out after a few weeks we took the red slip out and they became five day rentals yeah, I just remember, like, you know, because when I first started, like, One Bay was, like, the biggest movies, and then after a while, it started to migrate into kind of, like, two bays almost, so, or, like, a bay and a half sometimes, you know, so, I don't know, I was just curious, I, I don't quite remember that well, <laughs> how big it was, because I wasn't doing the wall at that point. Right, yeah, it was a lot, uh, I vaguely remember it being two bays, so, alright, well, let's do live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white light, white heat. Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation Ruling the Nation. Uh, Let's do top five sequels taking place nearly a decade or so later. Um, Before we get into it, I have a handful of honorable mentions. Um, In no specific order, The Incredibles 2, Finding Dory, Dumb and Dumber 2, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and Live Free or Die Hard are my honorable mentions, with my number five being Bad Boys for Life. Um, I could have put this one on there easily, but uh, I think Bad Boys for Life, um, I was more fulfilled with that than I was after I came out of Bad Boys 2. I do remember that much. Um, And more on that once we get around to it um don't look out for it anytime soon i don't have it on the schedule um probably it probably we probably won't get to bad boys for life until next year if i'm being quite frank um bayhem too no no well bayhem has nothing to do with it because he (laughs) didn't direct it but still um i do i do want to cover it but um yeah bad boys for life is my number five how about you um, so I'll preface this by the text you sent me said about 10 years. So I tried to keep all my picks really close to 10 well, years. I, t- now, I, obviously, tried to, I, I sent you a second, like a follow-up text that said, give or take a year or two. Yeah. But like you said, wall street, like that's like 20 something years. <laughs> like that's not give or take. Like that's, well, that 
or more. That should have said or more. I left those two words out. Whoops. Yeah. So, but um, I because there was a few that probably would have made it on here otherwise, but I tried to keep it like within a few years. So I'll just preface it uh, with that. So my number five is probably not on a lot of people's list uh, for this you know type of category, but for me it was so awesome, and that's Clerks too. Um, you know, I never expected a Clerks sequel. Clerks, you know, blew me away. I remember, I think we were, we were on vacation and we rented it, you and I, and, yeah. you know, I think my brother, like we were in Down Ocean City. I think you had already seen it maybe. And we rented it and watched it. And I was just like hooked on Kevin Smith and hooked on that ever since. Cause I had never seen a movie where there was so much pop culture and stuff just permeated into the dialogue. Um, so it was just great. And Clerks 2 was just so unexpected, but gave me everything I wanted out of it pretty much. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the upcoming, uh, Clerks 3, but, uh, yeah, Clerks 2, it was released about 12 years apart. So pretty close to 10. Son of a bitch. I forgot all about Clerks 2. (laughs) Shit. And while we're on the subject, I was actually pretty, um happy with Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Yeah, better than I expected. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't expecting much, but it was pretty good. And I'm looking forward to Clerks 3 later on this year. Hopefully later on this year. Shit, I don't know. Whenever he has it come out, because it's been in the bag for, I think they wrapped that last summer. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, an article when it wrapped, so it's been a while. I'm surprised he didn't show it at Sundance this uh past January maybe he did I don't know okay uh no he didn't anyway moving on uh number four for me is Halloween 2018 uh previous episode check it out and uh yeah the if you want to hear my thoughts on that then listen to that episode that's all I'm gonna say but my number four is Halloween 2018 how about you you know, funny enough, uh, that Halloween episode was the first episode I was on, <laughs> when you think about that. Really? Were you on that one? Yeah, Halloween 2018. That was my first episode oh, nice. that kicked off the Harathon. Sweet. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, I honestly, it, it don't, not, you know, I just, so many episodes right now, we're coming up on 100, so they all come blip, blip to me. <laughs> no, no, I gotcha. Um... So, my number four is bending in the ten years a little bit. It was fourteen years, uh, but Jurassic World. Um, and I think the reason that this one makes it on the list, other than it's just a fun movie, it surprised me. I honestly didn't have great expectations. I was not a big fan of Jurassic Park three. You know, I didn't hate it, but it just wasn't good. You know, I'm a huge fan of the original mm-hmm. and the sequel, Lost World. I think Lost World is underrated. Um, so I was. Not so hopeful on this, but Chris Pratt was surprisingly good, and the movie was just fun. You know, it wasn't anything groundbreaking, wasn't anything amazing. Fun theater experience, sold out theater when I saw it, and it was a good time. So, in my opinion, that's what a good sequel slash reboot should do. So, Jurassic World for me. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Number three for me is Toy Story 3. I love Toy Story 3. I think it's overall one of the best sequels period and uh yeah but not as good as my number two and number one obviously so how about you number three 
So my number three is another one that's probably not on a lot of people's list, but like I said, I was trying to stick to the 10 years. So my number three is one I actually rewatched recently. Um, it's because I had the Screen Factory Blu-ray, and that's Exorcist 3. I had never seen Exorcist 3 previously until a few years ago, and oh my, <laughs> that movie is something else. It is not for everybody, uh, but it just hit me in the right spot. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of the original. Sequels, batshit crazy. Uh, and this third one just comes back and just George C. Scott, Brad Dourif, uh, Ed Flanders, just everybody mm-hmm. in that movie is on point. Just such an interesting uh, way to go for the sequel. Uh, and it was just really rewatchable. I ended up watching it a couple times within the, like the past few years. So a huge fan of that movie after uh, seeing it for the first time. Uh, you know, it's not too far below the original for me. Like, that's how good I think it is. So I, I wanted to put that on there. That was about, let me see, that was about 13 years apart uh, between sequels. But yeah, Exorcist 3, awesome, underrated movie. Yeah, that jump scare, no joke. Seriously, that jump scare is legit. People talk about that being like the the, the scariest jump scare of all time. It is. <laughs> They're not lying. Um, anyway, number two for me is Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, that ride. Oh, yeah, that, that ride. It is a ride. That movie is just, just fucking bonkers in, in, in the best way possible. Um, it's, for Christ's sake, it's just a two-hour just car chase through the desert. And it, 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 it readily slows down. Um, it's like the definition of an adrenaline rush. So, yeah. How about you? Yeah, see, that's one that probably would have made my list uh, if I wasn't sticking closer to the 10-year mark, uh, like that and Blade Runner. But um, anyway, I won't bog us down. Um, so my number two was actually on your list as well, Toy Story 3. Um, it was 11 years apart, and I had high expectations just because it was Pixar and I'm a huge fan of the first two. I remember when I was younger, my mom took me to see the original. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit older when the sequel came out, but, uh, they just were a big part of my childhood. Just so touching, so memorable, so well done. And the third one doesn't disappoint. Uh, it, it kind of pains me cause my son has seen the first two, but not the third one. He's a three and a half, but I'm afraid to show it to him because of the ending. I think it will scare the shit out of him because it looks like they're in hell, <laughs> but it is a very good ending. Like it, you know, like I, I, I just have a feeling he's going to start crying because what's going on with Woody and Buzz, but, uh, just such a touching movie. Uh, I love the fact that these movies came out in a time where it's growing up with us as the audience, you know, that us that were around that age. Mm-hmm. So I really do appreciate that. And, you know, uh, let's not talk about the fourth one. I'll just leave it. No, there. we can't because it's it's not good at all. And um, that's me being nice. All right. So my number one, uh, we're going to be talking about it in a few weeks. Dr. Sleep. I think Dr. Sleep is hands down one of the greatest sequels of all time. Uh, I was blown away at just how fucking excellent it was when you're dealing with a classic like The Shining you know you've got your guard up way up you know coming out of it 
I mean, before go, you know, going into it, you're thinking, uh, if anything, it'll probably be, you know, um, satisfactory, you know, follow up to Kubrick's masterpiece. But it, Mike Flanagan, just bravo. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, the I'm a Flanagan. I'm a Flanagan and Flanagan. <laughs> I've said it before. Yeah, the, the guy's just on, you know, his own level when it comes to the genre. And the things he's doing, the things that a lot of people are doing, but him specifically, it's just the, the contributions he makes. Um, it just, just, they're so appreciative. And uh, just, yeah. Um, Have you seen his Netflix series? No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't gotten done? into his uh, mini series that he has on. You know, if, I feel like he's doing like. It's like an annual Flanagan miniseries he does on Netflix every year. Right? You need to get on that shit. The Haunting of Hill House and Midnight Mass are two of my favorite just genre-related things. You know, I can't say genre movies because they're a series, yeah. but uh, both of those blew me away. Bly House was okay, but uh, the first two I mentioned, fucking fantastic. Flanagan is on a different level, in my opinion, in, in the horror world right now. But, um... Yeah, Hush, Hush is so good, um, and uh, and Oculus, Oculus is so underrated. Gerald's Game, another one. Uh, Gerald's Game features a sequence that I cannot watch um, fully. I have to. I've just no, sorry. Um, I'll just say one word: glove. And uh, yeah. Uh, but Doctor Sleep is just oh my god, as it, it, it it's so worthy. It's such a worthy follow up to Kubrick's masterpiece that uh, God, I can't wait to talk about it in a few weeks. I really can't look out for that episode. Um, so what is your number one? So my number one, uh, like I said, was a kind of trying to stay within the 10 years, but my number one Batman begins, uh, you know, it was about eight years between that and Batman and Robin. And I think what puts that one high okay. up on my list is a, you know, I've gone into it before. Batman is one of my favorite fictional characters, you know, of all time of any medium, but also the fact of how shitty one was AKA Batman and Robin and how great Batman begins was, uh, you know, because with Christopher Nolan, I had seen Memento and Insomnia, wasn't a huge fan of Insomnia, so honestly, I wasn't super excited, other than the fact that it was Batman. Then I started seeing the trailers, then I actually saw the movie in theaters with my brother, and I was like, wow. You know, at that point, we hadn't gotten a Batman origin story, at least not like a whole movie centered around it, so it wasn't burnt out, you know, because it was in the mid-2000s, so I didn't have that origin story just fatigue yet so it just hit the right spot uh it did such a good job in setting up why batman did what he did and who he is just such a great movie uh just so fun so i definitely had to put batman begins on there not bad um admittedly i have to see batman begins again it's been so long since i watched that movie that um I'm not sure if it holds up or not because I haven't seen it in probably pff, 10 years. Yeah, that sounds about right. 10 years easily. So Yeah. I, my main complaint is how they did the Scarecrow dirty at the end. I, I, I just wish it had a little bit more of the fear talks. Yeah, but he pops back to up in the other it. two movies. Yeah. 
I think they wasted such a big opportunity having the Scarecrow in that movie, and then you just get tased in the fucking face, and then he's gone. Mm. All right. Let's dive into Bad Boys. I'm sorry. Bad Boys 2. Alright, so it had been nearly nine years since the first film, and the, the hold-up was just everyone's schedules and finding the right moment to get everyone into the same room together. And then finally it happened on August 12th, 2002. Pre-production kicked off with the entire cast going through extensive TNT training at a facility that was outside of Miami. That included Martin Lawrence climbing a nearly 100-foot wall by himself. Um... And you can actually see that footage on uh, YouTube. Um, just do what I did and Google, like, well, not Google, but search Bad Boys 2 behind the scenes. And there's like an hour and a half long, like, making of that they go through starting from pre production to the final day of shooting and in order. And they have like a little, like, a little, I don't want to call it a montage, but you know, just smaller clips before they started actually filming and yeah martin lawrence man there he is climbing this wall and uh of course he had a safety harness but other than that it was just him and that wall and that wall was every bit of 100 feet trust me so he did it all by himself so good on him uh and then the production filming officially began on august 26 2002 in and around miami florida with the uh, KKK rally, se- rally sequence being the uh, first thing that they filmed. Um, and that's pretty much it as far as like, you know, uh, just background information that I could gather as far as this film goes. Uh, they just hit the ground running. And uh, they didn't film it in order, even though the, the first main sequence is the first thing they filmed. Um, it was, of course, filmed out of, out of order, out of sequence. Um, I did find this tidbit pretty funny in a 2013 conversation with film critic David Denby at the Hammer Museum in, uh, I'm sorry, the Hammer Museum of Art in Los Angeles. The one of the screenwriters of the film, <coughs> um, Ron Shelton. Actually, he was the uh, no, well, yeah, one of the two, Jerry Stoll and Ron Shelton. But Ron Shelton confessed that. When asked by Jerry Bruckheimer to work on the script, he hadn't seen the first film, Bad Boys, back in 95, and quickly fast-forwarded through a blockbuster rental of the film before his interview. It also stated that to that day, he has never seen Bad Boys 2. It's a fun fact. <laughs> he just fast-forwarded. He's like, oh, yeah, nope. they're in the car. They get carjacked. Oh, yeah, now they're at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what. If that is true, if for someone who just kind of like breezed through it, kind of like put the Cliff's notes to get himself a job and 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 whatnot, and he did a pretty good job of uh, uh, making this you know a, a realistic nine year you know gap between films like these, even though we're nine years apart, these characters feel like the characters that we left off with at the end of Bad Boys. Like, I'm convinced that 
you know, there's a true nine-year gap. And these guys coming back aren't just Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. Just They're not coming back in, you know, for the money. They're actually in this, and I believe that they are the characters they are portraying. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's Marcus and um, yes. Mike Lowry. It's, it's, yeah, Mike, it's, it's Marcus and Mike to a T. It's, nothing's changed. So just maybe their looks a little bit older. Other than that, you know, they're the same characters that we left off with after the 1995 film. So we get our opening credits that are set to... Uh, there's a Amsterdam Ecstasy Lab, which goes into the harbor and ships out to the store, the shores of Miami, where the coffins are dumped into the Gulf of Mexico. And we see Johnny Tapia on the phone during the pickup with uh, two women in his bed who accidentally, they, the one woman finds his gun and she's like, "Look, look's a gun. Look at this! Bang, bang!" And she accidentally shoots it for real, like shoots like. Like the face off of one of his statues and shit. Isn't that what she does? And he's just like... Yeah, she shoots like one of his statues and he's just like, what the fuck? He's like, stupid bitches. Um, but yeah, Jolie Morta. I'm sorry, uh, Jordy Mola plays Johnny Tapia. <laughs> he's like literally plays the same character in Blow. <laughs> it's just like the drug kingpin. Although I saw, I think he was better in Blow than he is in this movie. Ah, yeah, he's got more depth and blow, although I do like Johnny Tapia, his portrayal of uh, that character in this movie. He's not bad. I just wish he was a little more over the top to fit the movie. I know that might sound odd, but I think this movie, if it had somebody they could really chew in the scenery, I think it would elevate it a little bit more. Yeah, and so apparently Jordi Mola is a big deal in Spain, like... I've heard this ridiculous phrase. I say it's ridiculous because it sounds ridiculous, but people have labeled him the Tom Cruise of Spain or some bullshit like that. Um, they talked to him on this behind-the-scenes video that I talked about uh, earlier on YouTube, and he mentions, like, you know, the, his looks and fame and all that, but he's just, like, so down-to-earth, and, and he's just... No, a non a, a no nonsense guy. He's just like, look, I see all that, but I'm not about that. I'm here to do a job. This is what I do for a living. This is my career. I'm an actor, and you know, I'm I'm here to work for, uh, provide a, a service for Michael Bay, and to make sure this film is done, you know, in a timely manner and correctly. And anything else outside of that, it you know, I I don't care about. All I care about is doing a good job on this film. So, at least he's humble. He might have been. Now he might have been the Tom Cruise of Spain at one point, but I would argue Javier Bardem kind of took that spot. Sorry, Jordy. Yeah. Well, then not only that, but his career didn't really take off in the states. At least, I mean, he had a pretty predominant career um, overseas, but uh, here in the states, yeah. You know, he blow. Bad Boys 2. Um, he was in that Colombiana movie, too. I Columbiana, think he was like a bad guy in that he, or some shit. He was in Riddick. He was in... Um, he had a scene cut in Ant-Man. He, so he's supposed to be in Ant-Man, but a scene was cut. And he was in that... Damn. He was in that uh, Terry Gilliam film, the, the Man Who Killed Don Quixote, with uh, 
uh, Adam Driver and Jonathan Price, which I haven't seen, but just I'm I'm familiar with the movie. So, so yeah, Johnny Tapia, <laughs> such a goofy name. Sounds like a fish because of tilapia. So. We see Johnny's men interact with a bunch of rednecks in a swamp boat. It's very vague. And then we see Henry Rollins. He's leading this (laughs) tactical narcotics team, TNT. Um, Marcus and Mike are uh, disguised as KKK rally members. And uh, they reveal themselves in this badass slow-mo shot. White power! White power! And uh, call for backup, which is only producing static. So off the bat, the plan is just fucked up because of something. Yeah, and it's like, why did they reveal themselves? Like, why couldn't they just signal while they were still under cover? Like, why? I don't know why they had to reveal themselves. Because it made for a neat shot. That's why. So Marcus gets yeah. uh, taken hostage by a real N-word happy Klansman. It's gonna call it what it is. Hey kids, it's Michael Shannon. And then a shootout ensues. I know. Michael Shannon. I completely forgot. I forgot he was in oh, this, I and don't. I like I I love his face. Like when yeah. uh, fuck, I forget who it was, a Mart Lawrence or Will Smith, but they're insulting the KKK. I just love uh, Michael Shannon's face. He's like, huh? <laughs> he did such a good like just Gomer face right there. He does a good job of just looking stupid intentionally. Um, and he's great in this. He really is one of his earlier roles. Um, yeah, so yeah, he was in Eight Mile like a year before yeah, that. He's he like was. playing like that hillbilly type role for a little while there. Well, he played one of uh, Rabbit's uh, uh, fellow classmates who he graduated with, and then he went on to date his mom. <laughs> so that's a yeah, that's a movie. I don't know how long it's been since any of our listeners have watched Eight Mile, but. Uh, it's something. I <laughs> give it that. I watched it a few years ago. And uh yeah. It's, it's something. So uh yeah, there's a shootout, people die, people are blown away. Mike shoots Marcus through the ass in one of those digital slow-mo tracking shots that based off from a corn video. Turns out the clan was buying from Tapia, not supplying. They were Tapia's mules. So instead of busting them for the largest shipment of ecstasy, they got them for two bags. Two measly bags. So, <laughs> alright. Um, it's interesting to me, we see after this whole shootout ensues and everyone's kind of cleaning up and shit, and all the cops are around scrambling. Um, Michael Bay has essentially replaced uh, Ruiz and Sanchez from the first film with... Uh, these two new characters named Vargas and Reyes who are here to simply, I don't know, they're, instead of bringing back Nestor Serrano and Julio Osco Marchozo, Machozo, Julio Oscar Machozo, unless there's more to the story that I couldn't find, I don't know, but he's got these uh, two new cats, Yul uh, Vasquez and Jason Manuel was Olazabel. I probably butchered that name as well, like I always do. Yeah, he's got them too in here now. 
I don't know what happened. Like I said, I couldn't find anything. Cause I'm kind of curious as uh, as to why this this whole recasting happened. It's almost like a recasting. You you would think it's the same characters, but just recast. But I no, would think most people they're not. They're different most, characters totally. They are, and I think most people. Because I'll be honest, when I first saw this movie, I didn't even notice. Like I thought they were the same characters. You know, this is pre. I had to go to an IMDb. IMDb on my smartphone. Well, recently I watched it because I was watching it. You know, yesterday for this, and I was like. Are those the, are they supposed to be the same? Because even I was confused as many times I've seen this movie. Um, I actually went to IMDb and sure enough, no, different, not the same. So, yeah, I thought they were the same. <laughs> and uh, Henry Rollins has talked about how he ended up getting this job in the past. He uh, apparently showed up for an audition back in '98 for Armageddon, uh, unkept with a single page torn out of the script in a really pissed off mood that he was in. And he proceeded to give a lousy audition after being ignored by Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer. Didn't get the part. However, after auditioning for Bad Boys, like five years later, he threw caution to the wind and ended up landing a part almost by accident. So good for him. He ended up getting the job anyway, after all. It's kind of a Happy accident, almost. Um, and I found this. This was in not. I didn't read this. I actually saw this in that documentary or the, the behind the scenes. So there's a doc explosion in this sequence here, and you see like a couple of the clansmen on fire, but one of them specifically gets blown away, like right into the picture, and then slams into the boat. It's actually a dummy. And before they yelled action, they fucking dropped the dummy. And you hear Michael Bay like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Is that my co-star in the water? Like he called the dummy his co-star. <laughs> and he was in the water. I'm like, what the hell? So, yeah, that was actually a dummy. And then I wrote this down too after watching that. All the cops, all the extras that are in this scene and throughout the whole movie at that. They didn't get extras like just anyone else. They're actual cops. See, Bay wanted to flood them with authentic people the way that he got actual Navy SEALs to be the um, extras on The Rock. More on that next week. Um, so Johnny Tapia questions his men on how the cops who jacked his mules knew about the drop. He then orders his men to change the shipment schedule, kind of keep them guessing, which is smart. It's the first thing you want to do after uh, people have caught wind to your operation, I guess. So then we see Marcus seeing a therapist for his anger issues that he's apparently in denial over. You're misinformed. I'm not angry. No, you're very angry. No, I'm not angry. You are angry. It's okay. I'm not angry. Except when you keep repeating, you're angry. And that shit's fucking annoying. Like a fucking gnat at a barbecue just just, just just bugging the fuck out of me good I want you to say I'm angry it's okay I'll process my anger I love myself Wooza. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about yes you do know what the fuck I'm talking about Wooza is introduced to the audience <laughs> and 
Mike is also seen banging this therapist after Captain Mike ordered him to go after the event of the first film. He says after that airport yeah, the airport incident, a little nod to the first movie. Uh, Woosa, kind of something like Woosa, something that kind of broke into you know common pop culture after this film came out. Something that people, I don't know if they intentionally or unintentionally quote that. I hear a lot of people still to this day do the whole Woosa bit. It's kind of funny that uh, comes from this movie here. Yeah, and then anger management uh, kind of mirrored it, I remember, because they had, like, the... It was slightly different, but it was, like, goose brava or something. You know, something similar. Right. A chant in which is supposed to calm you down. Goose blah blah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it was, like, a, just a funny joke. Because uh, I, I, I just think this whole new meditation and... Therapy, obviously, therapy was around before this, but I, I think it yeah. was kind of permeate, permeating the uh, mainstream a little bit more. Therapy and relaxate, relaxation classes, stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely Michael Bay kind of making a mockery of it, um, kind of laughing at the whole idea of therapy. Because, you know, all the key scenes here in the therapist's office are not to be taken seriously whatsoever. I mean, fucking Will Smith is banging his therapist. And then Martin Lawrence, you know, he's got his therapist, like, kind of calming him down and, like, dropping F-bombs and shit. It's like, what are we doing here? Uh, You know, but, like I said, we got the whole woo thing out of this whole thing. So it wasn't for nothing. Because I still, myself, even do the woo thing myself, so... You know, it's harmless. Um, then we get this crazy tracking shot from out of this helicopter that Mike and Marcus are in. It goes down through the vent shaft of this random rooftop of some downtown Miami club. And then it drops in down into the neon floor of Peter Stormare's club that's fluttered with X all around. So Peter Stormare talked about him in Armageddon. He's course showing back up because it wouldn't be a Michael Bay film without Peter Stormare now would it same guy I like to imagine it's the same character yeah I know right (laughs) he's a cosmonaut now he's a drug kingpin and uh, club owner in Miami now this is also something that didn't really come into the limelight until I don't know this is something that didn't really make its way through like the the rounds or the rumor mill it's it's, just, it's not a rumor it's a fact but like I'm getting at Megan Fox and she's in this scene like Blake and you'll miss her oh, yeah. very young 15 it, yeah underage for sure it's definitely one of the things I know Michael Bay is cringing a lot of places but when I found that out that definitely made my skin crawl a little bit the fact that she was 15 years old and and she's dancing yeah, under a waterfall too, and it's it's crazy. Like when Bay said she'll do, someone pointed out that she was only fifteen, so she can't be sitting at the bar drinking. Bay said have her dance under a waterfall, so that's what happened, according to Megan Fox on uh, Jimmy Kimball when they were talking about this scene and how it happened. And then, 
Of course, a handful of years later, she would be in the first two Transformers films. Uh, the less said about those, the better. And, uh, yeah. So, um, in case people listening to this did not know, this scene here at the club with Peter Stormare, uh, Blinkley will miss her, but Megan Fox is in the scene. So, yeah, a little trivia for you. Um, and then Mike calls his Jamaican informant named Ice Pick to tear into him over the bus for a mere two bags. He tells him he's got 24 hours to find that ex before Mike finds him. And then Johnny Tapia calls Peter Stormare about the drug bust when some guy starts ODing right underneath of him. So, he sees this dude just start ODing through this fucking window panel floor that he's got. I want this office with the floor panel that just goes... You can see right down into his club from up above. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. Don't you agree? But well, can they see him? Like Probably not. He's, like working, scratching his balls. Probably and, like, not. Everybody's looking up at him. You know, I mean, suppose he had like a female there, like a, a skirt or something. And No, of course he can't see upward. Well, maybe he can, but I don't know. It's Peter Stormare. Who knows? Crazy Russians. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just... Uh, where do we see this? We we see shit like this on like boats, you know, never at clubs. This is this is definitely a first that I've ever seen before, um, of something like this. Uh, they drag this dude out and leave him in a rainy alleyway to suffer and die. It's pretty fucked up. Um, yeah, it's one of those instances of this movie is just mean. Like, yeah, it's just like needlessly mean. Like this guy's OD and they just they just drop him like garbage. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man. Then Marcus is having his family lunch the next day or later on, whenever. Doesn't really tell us when. Um, he's enjoying his $3,900 above ground pool. His sister Sid shows up. She's visiting from New York, working for the DEA, but she claims she's only a pencil pusher or a paper pusher. When in fact, she's working undercover. Then, uh,. Oh, by the way, Gabrielle Union, everybody. She plays Marcus's sister, Sid. Uh, bring it on. That's right, bring <laughs> it on. The Toros. So Mike shows up with a donut. Turns out he's seeing Sid, but doesn't want to tell Marcus, even though she does. Marcus is holding secrets, too. As we find out through some terribly fucking forced expositional dialogue between him and Teresa, Teresa Randall. That he's being transferred out and won't be Mike's partner for much longer. And then we get this incredibly awkward family lunch before Sid suddenly takes off. And this is when Marcus plays fetch with the dog and it just destroys the pool. Because his little chain gets caught in the pump, which tears it, which... This is a cheap pool, I guess, and it breaks it. It's, it his, his leash wraps around and the old bit... The pool gets destroyed and all the water goes out into the harbor because their backyard's right there into the harbor. Um, I like to imagine Bay just had this in the movie just because he's like, oh, that's cool. We can have a pool just flow over into the bay. This looked like fun to film because both times they do it, spoiler alert, it happens later on. Both times Marcus is sitting, or um, Martin Lawrence is sitting in the pool. Like, actually, him, like, you know, sitting through it going out into the 
harbor. <laughs> Look like fun, man. Something to do on set. I don't know. Uh, the dog. The dog, the dog, the dog. They keep on calling it Mason. Yeah, in fact, it belongs to Michael Bay. Martin Lawrence was uncomfortable acting around the dog during filming due to the dog's large size, but he did anyway. Oh, well. So, uh, Peter Stormare, by the way, his character's name is Alexi. He's having a meeting with Sid. The Russians, in turn, are the main distributors for Ecstasy for Johnny Tapia. And Sid's there to launder the money, the very large sum of money. Uh, think of it as a money laundering service on wheels, as she puts it. And this is when the crazy uh, Haitians get involved and the Zoe Pound gang try to intercept Sid after the agent she's with is killed. And she takes control of the truck through the parking garage. Mike and Marcus, who are uh, just following along, making sure everything goes smoothly, they notice and they give chase. So yeah, man, this begins our first big action sequence. We're like 22 minutes into the movie. And we're already <laughs> ready to go. I know. You're 22 minutes in, and this scene, this action sequence, could be the finale to a lot of action oh, yeah. movies. Like, this could be the capper, and this is 22 minutes into this two-and-a-half-hour movie. It, I forgot how quickly this happens. I thought so this was, like, paced. at the midpoint. Like, it, it's just blindingly fast. Like, why are the Haitians here uh, trying to take it over? Who cares? Drug war. Just start getting them fucking cars off of that container and just start having uh, fucking mayhem and bayhem in the streets of Miami. And yeah, this whole scene is excellent from start to finish. I mean, there's enough intensity and mayhem to make it so badass that you'll want to rewatch it right away when it ends. I mean, that insane Miami bridge scene involving an entire transportation truck of cars being dropped in a flying boat for good measure. It's always something you'll see solely in a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, it it it's just such a cool idea having just literally cars thrown at them, and you know I like when one car gets caught on the chain and starts just fucking smacking into everything oh, yeah. around the freeway, and you know of course for no for no good reason obviously, but uh, Mike and Marcus are in the uh, Porsche uh, Turbo, which you know obviously no cop would ever drive, but it's a fucking Bay movie, so of course they got one, and uh, I also like the little comedy in there too. Uh, they pull up against the bad guys at one point and Will Smith's character, uh, Mike is like, aren't you going to shoot? And Mark is like, no, I'm going to show him my badge first because, you know, <laughs> yeah. Marcus is doing the whole, uh, Woosa thing. And then, uh, later, obviously, uh, <laughs> Marcus is, uh, has the automatic, uh, the, you know, the machine gun out the window accidentally shoots up the dashboard. Uh, just the look on Martin Lawrence's face. Fucking phenomenal right there. Just like the oh shit look like you just fucked up your friend's shit. You know, I just love like the little things in there. And then later, um, Mike makes fun of him. He's like, you gonna show him your badge now? Like, <laughs> I just love like little <laughs> quips. That's what makes these movies for me. It's just the chemistry between them two. Yeah. So afterwards, Sid manages to get away. And then she meets up with Mike and Marcus, who reveals that she's undercover. And then ridicules them for following her and nearly burning her case that took her five months to set up. Now, she says that she's got cash and she's under specific order not to reveal anything to the Miami PDA 
that PD because they've got too many leaks, which may be the case, but Sid's a bit shaken because she's never used her gun before. And this is when Tapia's men show up and quickly take their money. Drops done. Uh, I, I wrote this, this note here. So they filmed it at Cape Florida State Park. Uh, and then on the other side of the park was Too Fast, Too Furious being filmed. <laughs> oh, man. You could have a double feature right there. Early 2000s action cheese. Oh, yeah. Two Miami films, it. baby. So Mike and Marcus head back to the station where Captain Howard's waiting for them so we can give them hell about destroying 22 cars and a boat. And a boat? He <laughs> <laughs> does like a double take and a boat. And let's just mention uh, Joey Pants is back. Joey Pants, baby. Turns out he's on the Woosah system too. He says that there's always two sides to a story. So he wants to hear theirs. They got- <laughs> he's like... So no drugs, no drugs, no money. <laughs> I just love that. So no, we got no drugs, no leads. We got no money, no leads. <laughs> but Marcus was at a family barbecue. <laughs> so when Howard says that he was all for nothing, Howard points out. No, when Howard says that this was all for nothing, Mike points out that this has got DEA written all over it. He then gets a phone call where it's revealed that Mike's car will cost twenty-two grand to fix. It was the dashboard. So back at the station, uh, the station back at the uh, during the chase scene, I forgot to mention that Marcus has got this like Uzi, and he's supposed to be shooting outward, but instead he just accidentally shoots it off inside the car and just destroys his fucking dash. <laughs> I know it's the look I, I mentioned it before but it's the look on Martin Lawrence's yeah. face uh, that the gets me every look. time he's like oh shit yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we see here that Johnny Tapia's hidden money is being eaten by rats and we get to know a lot more about Tapia and who he is he has a younger little daughter um, eh, let's just you know, a little big bone she comes down and asks if she's, uh, she asks if she looks like a princess in her pink dress. And then this is when one of Tapia's men, Roberto, played by John Seda, starts laughing. He chuckles, and Tapia threatens him for being so stupid. I know. Remember when I said this movie was like a bully? Just keep that in mind when you watch the scene and watch a grown man laugh at a, like, seven-year-old girl. Yeah, exactly. I, ex- I should mention that too. Like, like the fact that she's seven. Like, when I, I'm saying she's big bone. What little girl who's that age isn't? You know, they're still finding their form. They're kids, for Christ's sake. And he exactly. Yeah, she's chubby. He just chuckles. A lot of kids are like that. that That's that, right. That's normal. Um. So then we get Mike and Marcus. They go to see their informant ice pick. They say they're trying out for Miami PD tandem da- dance team. So they show him a little something, something that involves the two busting up his glass. What's up, Ice Pick? Jesus is the way, my brother. Step inside. You just went number one on Uncle Mike's shit list. We got two lousy bags, man. Oh, my brother's. Haitian blonde with dreads. Where is he? Blondie dread? <laughs> He's very expensive. You and you have to do something for me. Are oh, you trying to get gangster on me like that? Yeah, you want gangster. So we should probably, that's what we want to do. 
Uh, me and my partner, we're on the Miami PD tandem dance team. And uh, we got a routine. We want all the local talent shows. We think about going national. Wait, oh, you want to show them some of the routine? Uh, ooh, warm it up. Uh, uh, ooh, don't hurt nothing. Yo, Jay, yo, yo, watch this, watch this. This is that shit right here. This is that shit. Uh, ooh. It's super tight. It's super tight. It's super tight. Shop, man. Wait, watch the spin, watch the spin. Uh, 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 like this shop of it all over the place and they're uh just taking turns like just taking this like bat and just destroying the shit out of everything <laughs> i know again this is their informant yeah. <laughs> they're fucking destroying his, they don't like uh, the news store. they don't like the information that he's giving them um they're looking for this blonde haitian from earlier and ice pick tells them that he lives in this little pink house down the street so they go to see him, and um, yeah, we get another. This is the second big action sequence in the film, in my opinion. This is the 360 gunfight. Now, yeah, 2003. This shot had never been seen before. Like I no, remember not- this being like, holy shit, this is badass. We've never seen yeah. something like this before. I didn't know how they did it. I mean, obviously, they had a rig in a, uh, you know, on a rail going around, but, you know, it was the fact that they added in the digital stuff, like, you know, added in the um, doors and window or whatever the camera was going through. It just looked so good. Uh, and it was definitely memorable. Like, if, you know, I'm going to remember scenes in this movie, obviously, the earlier chase, uh, this scene. And stuff we'll get into later, but yeah, I, I've always been a huge fan. Like I, I mentioned in the previous episode, Bay to me is like the master of movement. Whether that's good or bad or not, the man knows how to move a camera and make it look interesting, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, I don't know. It, it, this this whole first-time technique, it's just something about it that it's... It's so enhanced and, and and so slick and stylish and I just love the way it just swings around three sixty over and over and and you know it, it, it It's like we're on a merry go round yeah, of fun. Exactly. It's just it's a fun sequence to watch. It really is. And <laughs> until until Will Smith like lines up his gun on the guy's head and he's like, give up now. And the guy's like, nah, and he just fucking blasts his brains out. Like, again, like just mean shit. Like Will Smith knows he has them dead to rights and it's like, give up now. All right. Bam. Fucking blows him away. Yeah, because that happens right after he shoots the guy in the head to the uh, little peephole. Because the guy is fired, of course, at Martin Lawrence, who's like directly in the line of fire, like, dodging bullets and tiles and shit in the bathroom or where the toilet is. Um, <laughs> yeah, because he just wants to stop and, like, talk things out and, like, fucking Will Smith stops and he crosses his arms and he's like, yeah, stop. 
Now you want to go talk? You talk to him? And he's like, they can't hear you because they're shooting at us. <laughs> yeah. That part's funny. And then um, Martin Lawrence kind of loses his shit in a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, so it ends with the blonde that they're after being the last man alive. So Marcus face forces him to apologize to that man. This scene's fucking hilarious, especially when Marcus goes around asking the dead bodies a bunch of questions that they need information <laughs> from. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes is like, what do you see, man? Oh, you're dead? You can't tell me? All right. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts. It's like, you can't see shit, Mike. You know why? Because he's dead. His brain's over there. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I just love that. <laughs> like, one guy's got a fucking look of surprise on his face. Ah, uh, shit. So, um, they end up leaving with this video camera. You know, this 2003 camcorder, of course. Not gonna lie, I had myself one of these bad boys. Um, no pun intended. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that quote. The devil is not welcome here. I just felt like writing that quote down. Um, and yeah, I, 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 as much as I love, I, I'm kind of going back to my notes that I forgot to bring up when we were talking about the 360 shot earlier. As much as I love the style of the shot, it's fucking stupid when you think about it. Because no one is hitting anyone firing at angles the way they are in this gunfight. Because the way... It's a badass shot. Don't get me wrong. Will Smith with the guns pointed at different angles each way. But... He's essentially fired at the corners of the in, of the of the opposite room. <laughs> like, who is yeah. he hitting? Nobody. Upon you know, like most things, logically, in, it in, makes no fucking <clears throat> sense. But style-wise, it looks fucking sexy as shit. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, like most things in Bay movies, uh, it doesn't hold up to subsequent uh, thinking. Pretty much, like you're watching it, this is cool, and then you're like, wait a fucking minute. You know, I hearken back to the Armageddon episode where uh, you know, yeah. time is not a fucking factor there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they take this camcorder and they go to this place called Fat Electronics. P-H-A-T, Fat. Remember that? Fat. Pretty hot and tempted. So yeah, uh, audio video scene. Um, they, the, the Haitians that they're doing surveillance on um, at, they're they they're they're at this place called the Spanish Palms Mortuary. Before the video cuts to a sudden sex scene, and the the, the guy who works at this place, this 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 stereotypical like dorky white guy, he's like you know my my father runs this place, you know, and he's they they the sex scene starts playing, and he starts panicking, and um he's like switching wires and all of a sudden he makes it accidentally play throughout the whole store so now the whole store is seeing like nothing but this fucking like Haitian banging this woman outside of his car uh, and they, all they hear is moaning and then he finally after his dad comes in he finally gets the wires pulled and the, 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 the signal goes out but then it cuts to more like a live feed inside this private room with Marcus and Mike and they're having this heart to heart and they're they're careful with their wording, you know, to you know, to go with the humor here for this scene. 
and they're, they're talking. He's talking about his ass from when he got shot in the opening scene from the movie, and you know, they, they kind of like have a heart to heart or something. It's uh, yeah. This this is cringe. This, this scene is kind of hard to get through. I'm not gonna lie. It's, <laughs> it's hard. To, it's hard to watch twenty years later. I you know back when I saw this, I was a teenager. I thought it was hilarious. Nowadays, it's bad. I mean, I'm sure... I don't... Here's the thing. I don't think Bay is doing any of this to hurt anybody. I honestly just think in his mind, this shit's funny. So, I want to put it in my movie. It's funny having the sex tape on there. It's funny having uh, everybody think they're gay and they need to get Jesus or have a kid ask what an erection is. Uh, But watching it today, it's just... The Bay humor does not hold up well. And... Honestly, it, it made my eyes roll. I just wanted this scene to end. I forgot how bad it was. Yeah. Yep. So, where are we at now? Yeah, Fletcher. Remember Fletcher from the first film? The uh, the computer tech, the hacker dude? Yeah, he's a fucking uh, basketball player. He is player a basketball in player life. in real life. Yeah, he retired. Uh, yeah, he returns to look into stuff for Marcus and Mike. He finds out that the mortuary belongs to John Tapia's mother. It's also revealed that every time the PD goes after Johnny Tapia, he ends up suing and winning big. With the last the last occurrence, he was awarded nine million dollars, and uh, they then get Fletcher to patch into the phone lines for Lakers floor tickets. And this is how they hear about the rat problem. And show up disguised as pest control to plant some bugs and wires to find out more about Tapia's operation. We see here they go in a commandeer um, some like this equipment from um, exterminators. So if you and I have a note here when they're commandeering this exterminator stuff real quick, if you freeze the picture. You can read Marcus's badge clearly, and it says that he is a lieutenant with the Miami Police Department. In the original Bad Boys, you can freeze frame Marcus's badge in the peephole scene when he's showing Tia Leone his badge, and then it says that he is a sergeant. So clearly, in the nine years, or eight years, sorry, Marcus has been promoted. And uh, there's also a line here. Um, oh, we'll get through it to it. Hang on. There's, um, it's not there yet. So, there. while this is going on, they go into the, the, the... They show up disguised as, you know, the pest control. And they go in, and they're bugging the place. Uh, Martin Lawrence is, like, f- freaking out and shit. Suddenly, you know, there's a... What do I have here in my notes? Um, Yeah, Tapia uh, has a meeting with Alexi uh, Stormare and his... uh, What do you want to call uh, Yosef? His, like, his bruiser... Yeah, like his muscle or maybe his, like, consigliere or lieutenant. Something like that. Like his right hand, pretty much. Yeah, it's Oleg Taktarov, who 
Oh man, this dude, the guy who plays, uh, um, um, shit, I, I, his name jo- uh, Joseph. Uh, he was in. You ever seen the film Fifteen Minutes with De Niro and Ed Burns? No, I don't think I ever have, but I've heard of it. Okay, but yeah, I've never seen it. It's an interesting movie. Um, don't hold your breath, people. We're not going to be covering it anytime soon. It's definitely not. I don't know. It's. It's. I'm just going to say it's interesting and leave it at that. But that was the first time I had ever seen him in something before. And then um, he was in the Rollerball remake. And then I saw, I remember seeing him in Predators. Fucking right. He was in Rollerball. That's what yeah. I remember him from. Rollerball. And Predators. And Predators. Yeah, he, he had like the Uzis or something. No, not the Uzi. He was like, yeah, he was, was like the Russian guy in Predators though. Yeah. And then. Yeah, I remember that now. He was in Den of Thieves playing a character named Alexi. Where are you at on Den of Thieves? Surprisingly good. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, obviously not like groundbreaker, not like one of my favorites, but it was honestly more than I was expecting. I wasn't expecting much, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. I have a confession to make. I fucking love Den of Thieves. <laughs> I saw it in the theaters twice. I think... Gerald Butler is badass. I think the plot is awesome. Um, I think the twist. Yeah, they're filming that bad boy. I thought I saw that. Yeah, that twist was good. Didn't see that coming. I just think it's uh, all around well acted, and uh, one of the. I think it's one of the more underrated films of uh, the last handful of years. Um. To be perfectly honest. So, anyway, back to the movie. Uh, uh, Joseph gets killed off screen. His body gets hacked into just body parts, sliced and stuffed into a tortilla bin. And uh, that's how Alexi finds him. They bring him out because he wants to do a. He he wants Joseph to be there for negotiation for negotiating things and can't really do that now with him being chopped up and stuffed into a tortilla bin, can ya? So yeah, this this kind of deal goes awry and he's basically forced to. It, it doesn't work, you know, at first. And Tapu brings up uh, Alexi's family, and that changes everything. Mike goes out and. Gets more equipment, but ends up scooping around, and he steals some shredded documents. He finds Joseph's remains, steals his pinky for further investigating. <laughs> He's just fucking sitting on the counter yeah. with his fucking pinky. Um. Meanwhile, Marcus sees two rats actually fucking, and I'm confused if I'm, I'm not sure what I'm quite watching here. This this I don't bad know. boys this movie. This is another. This is another, you know, Bay humor moment, yeah. but at least this isn't like mean. Like at least it's just stupid, you know. And, and honestly, I got kind of a chuckle out of just watching Martin Lawrence react to these fucking rat puppets. Just made me laugh. Like just the whole fact that they had to film this made me laugh a little bit to myself. I'll tell the you fact what. That this is on screen. I'll tell you what. Martin Lawrence 
definitely has some really good reaction humor in this movie. His reactions are great, especially a little, little bit later on that we're going to get to in a scene. Um, so yeah, there's also a line here after Alexi gets pissed off before he signs of the documents uh, after his family's threatened. Uh, Johnny Tapia says to Alexi, listen here, you Russian punk. I, me, Johnny Tapia, will sever your head off. Now, listen to me, you Russian punk. I, me, Johnny Tapia, will sever your head off. That was actually a line taken directly from the real FBI audio surveillance recording of um, John Gotti, in which Gotti stated, You tell this punk, I, me, John Gotti, will sever your motherfucking head off. So... And then Mike and Marcus are made, so they escape the mansion. And because of all this, and the fact that they were allowed inside of his mother's mansion, he then executes John Seda for letting them into his mom's house and endangering her, his daughter, and uh, his money. So Johnny's mom comes out and asks what happened, and he says Roberto suddenly killed himself. It's very sad, very tragic, mama. Call the rap people, and this guy showed up. Maybe you're the rat, huh? They tried to steal from me. You let them into my mother's house. Johnny, hey, no. I would never. Nobody puts in danger my daughter, my mother, or my mind. Send him to the mortuary. Johnny! Johnny, what happened to Roberto? He killed himself, Mama. Seve un tiro. Ay. Very sad. Make sure I'm writing last letter to his mother. I'll do it. Okay, bye. Yeah, she's like, write a letter to his mom or <laughs> his parents or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So then Tapia puts a hit, a hit on Mike and Marcus and orders them into the two coffins by his side and he wants them buried in his mother's garden. So then we see a boat named Dixie 7 is found on one of the shredded papers which belongs to one of the clansmen from the first scene. Vargas and Reyes. Hey, remember them? We haven't talked about that. Yeah, I haven't talked about them in a while. Then show up and... Uh, they give Mike and Marcus a recording from Tapia where he sets up a meeting with Sid at the beach. So then we cut to the beach with Sid and Tapia. He takes her out into the water so their conversation can't be traced. Smart cookie. <laughs> I know that the FBI guys are all surprised. They're like, oh, if only we'd have known they right. were at the beach and they were going to go in the fucking like, water. That was like, never an option, right? They go to a beach, they'll <laughs> never go to the water. Nah, not at all. Not with mojitos. <laughs> <laughs> Not with endless mojitos, exactly. He uh, says he, he now owns all the Russian clubs and is about to be the biggest supplier of ecstasy in Miami. They agree to do business together because she's a money launderer. Let's not forget that. That's her uh, cover. So Marcus and Mike head to see Sid in downtown Miami and they reveal they know of her move due to the wire in Tapia's house. So they try warning her not to go into business because she's about to be in the middle of a drug war. 
She then points out all the Miami PD mistakes that were made in the past and the cases that he won because of them. She says she wants to bring him down with the DEA. It's her big case. And she says that she's now in charge of this entire operation and needs a month or two to bring him down herself. So Mike then asks her how a day or two. How about a day or two? Sorry. And proceeds to tell her that he thinks that him and Marcus may have found the key to his entire operation. Someone who's going to put them down with the transport end of Tapia's operation and then invites her in on them. Yeah, invites her in with them. So we cut to Michael Shannon, who's on the who's the lucky duck that they bail out so that he can be their key and help them find uh, Dixie Seven and let them know that you know what it has to do with Johnny Tapia, acknowledging that um, he's wearing this goofy ass headband. Because yeah, apparently his because, ear like, got blown off in the beginning. I don't remember that happening. Apparently it does. A lot happens in that scene for the you know, in my defense. But he's wearing this fucking goofy like head wrap, like he's got a like hurt tooth or something. It's funny. Yeah, it looks like he has a toothache. <laughs> That's what I thought too. Yeah, you gotta put some ore gel in that bitch or some shit. I don't know. So they blackmail with a picture of Mike that he takes of Marcus saying that they'll edit the photo and by the time you're done with this you'll be in the next Busta Rhymes video or something like that he says. Um, and it's so funny watching back this now because it's you know 2003 and he's like before he goes to you know, tease the blackmail to uh, Michael Shannon he's like you know what this is? This is a digital camera. You could do all sorts of neat shit with this thing. I can hit this button here. By the time I'm done, you know, I can do so much. By the time, by the time I'm done with you, it'll look like you're you came out of a Busta Rhymes video, is what he says, word for word. Well, I think it's word for word. Um, <laughs> funny as shit. So yeah, um, then we get Sid, Marcus, Mike, and Floyd telling the operator top. Yeah, during the operation, they're like staking out on the water, waiting. They're at this dock area in the middle of nowhere, waiting for uh, Dixie Seven to show up. And Mike finally tells Marcus about him and Sid. Just tell him about New York. Do it. Tell me what. Oh, shit. Is he walking down the steps? Oh, shit. He coming down. Uh-uh. That's okay. Yeah, you're fucked up. You're fucked up. Um. You remember uh, my mom went to New York? You remember? And I said, Sid. I ran in, Sid ran into me in New York on the street in that place. And I said, what's up? And we was hungry. So then she had fish. It was grouper. And then I had some chicken. My boss was supposed to come home. But I didn't. We went out on a date. Five, actually. Now we're seeing each other. Hold up. You know, I, really out of respect for you, Marcus, you know, uh, nothing happened. Hey, Mike, why, why are you tripping, man? No, we just, I mean, wanted to make sure that you was cool with it. Doesn't matter what I think, you know? Hey, I, I had to find out like this, right? Don't matter. Let me ask you a question. Y'all gonna have babies? Little bunch of mini mics? Huh? 
Bunch of little lying, violent motherfuckers. Marcus, nothing happened. I just wanna say, mama's gonna be thrilled. All right, you know what? You need to go ahead and woo-saw something for a second. Hey, hey, here comes the Dixie 7. Woo-saw. And not the best timing, because they're going into it with one another, and Dixie 7 comes, and they're just getting into a big confrontation, and Marcus finally tells him about her, about his transfer. And then, uh, yeah, secrets with these guys. That's the note that I wrote down after this scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a soap opera kind of. A little bit. You know, it, it, it's a little ridiculous, but, you know, you get the drama and it's just, I don't know, between the two, it's like, it's good with drama, but obviously they're also still, they still love each other. You know, they love each other through the whole Bad boys time, for life, you know? come on. Yeah, so you, you know it's never in question. Like, they're going to end up being friends, you know, or partners. Yes, sir. The dropout pulls up an hour later and loads Dixie up with a number of coffins, which are seen being transported to the mortuary. Cue the Michael Bay cameo with his little mini Pinto, or whatever the hell that thing is that they try getting him out of. They try commandeering a car, this little speed-up wagon, and the guy they try taking it from is Michael Bay, the director. So that doesn't work out. So then they commandeer Damarito, his Cadillac that he's test driving. Because, of course, they're in Miami. <laughs> and they go to follow coffins. Now, Marino was asked to film his cameo after being friends with Bay in real life. And the fact they shot at Miami also helped, you know, make I was going to say, do you work. think Bay... Do you think Bay and Marino just sat around and talked about how much they fucking love Miami together? Probably. Like, that's just what I'm imagining. That's probably how the dinners went. They probably had about four or five dinners within a two-year span, and they both just jerked each other off, talk, talking about Miami the entire time. That's pretty much <laughs> the gist of their date. Until <laughs> you hear somebody say, laces out, Dan. Yeah, right. So, uh, Tapia's men spot Mike and Marcus immediately because Mike drives like an asshole. So, of course, he's going to get spotted. Like, he's trying to be inconspicuous and he just drives, like, very he's obviously. He's right fucking next to him. Yeah, it's like. He's right next and to him. He's driving <laughs> like, so literally. erratically. It's like, really? Okay. So, Michael Shannon's, meanwhile, in the trunk. We've got to mention that. Oh, he'd be fucking dead. We've got to mention that. He'd be that. dead. This uh yeah this big fucking car chase sequ- this this car chase sequence gets underway and I gotta remind everyone again Michael Bay Michael Bay Michael Shannon is in the trunk, um so yeah this is a sequence that involves flying corpses from the transportation van, um and and this is a good fucking part to just bring up. Michael Bay, in my opinion, he's just always outdoing himself. I don't think anyone was prepared for everything Bay had up his sleeve with this fucking movie. Like, we're going to follow cars with, you know, dead bodies that are going to fly out of the back. We're going to have, you know, if 22 cars in a boat wasn't enough, we're just going to throw out John Doe's out of a fucking van. (laughs) Why not? I I just imagine like the pitch meeting for this movie and he's in there and he's like, and then we're going to have a big chase at the beginning with cars flying out. Then next it's going to be dead bodies. And Sony's just like, is it going to make money? Okay. All right. It'll fucking make money. We'll, <laughs> right. we'll, we'll green light it. That's right. 
empty dose equal dollar signs. Um, and also, this entire sequence, there would be so many fucking dead civilians. Like, all the gunfire and vehicular destruction happening. Bodies would be piling up for sure. <laughs> like, seriously. And then, uh, just, they, they, they filmed the van crossing in front of this active train in this one spot at this, this sequence. Like, the, the van they're chasing, like, flies in front of a, a, a train. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's yeah. cool the way they filmed it because it looks just like a practical shot. It's actually, it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, camera magic the way they filmed it they said they they filmed the sequence once with just the train then they filmed it again with just the van and no train and the van crossing and all that and they basically just took the two footages and they spliced them together and it's kind of a cool trick the way they 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 make the van like appear it's not digital it's it's practical, no, it's but school. it's just it's just they, they took two they they basically spliced film, the old school way, you know. It's an old school trick. Yep. Yeah, for a celluloid and just having the two overlay together. Yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating. I learned that from the little YouTube behind the scenes thing I watched the other day. Um, so yeah, the coffins are now gone, and Mike and Marcus end up chasing their lead suspect onto this. People mover monorail gimmick that, that must be a Miami thing, and the suspect ends up getting smashed violently when he's thrown out in front of it underneath the moving tram. <laughs> Again, just mean. Like he, this guy doesn't just die. Like he gets fucking electrocuted and then ran over. Like <laughs> just fucking mean. Yeah, and like Marcus is just flabbergasted. He's like, "You mean to tell me you just murdered our only lead? Like, come on, man! Like, not murder, but like you just let him die like that instead of I don't know." So the John Doe's were empty. Like, there's nothing inside of them. Howard arrives and delivers my favorite line in the movie about Mike and Marcus, like. Waking up and asking each other how they're going to fuck up the captain's life today. Can't believe you guys. Do you both wake up in the morning, call each other up? Good morning, Marcus. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? I. So, how are we going to fuck up the captain's life today? Gee, I don't know. I don't know. Ooh, look over there. Let's kill three fat people and leave them on the street. Hey, they were dead before we ran over them. It doesn't matter whether they were dead or not. God Damn it! Every time you leave a corpse on the street, I have to get these forensic coroner guys to come in to see what happened. Then I gotta get detectives, see, de detecting shit. Then I gotta get these forensic guys to stick them back in the fucking bag. Jesus Christ! You guys, you're, you're, you're like, you're like a, a bunch of blood-sucking ticks draining the life's blood out of this department. Woosah. Damn the Woosah, Captain. Did you just call me a tick? I was referring to him. Captain, these so. are not normal corpses. If I threw you out of a speeding ice truck and then ran over your head, you wouldn't be normal either. Think about this for one second. All of these bodies have been emptied out. If I'm a drug smuggler that just happens to own a mortuary and I got a bunch of bodies hanging around with plenty of room in them, I could smuggle some shit. Johnny Tapia has the perfect cover. Whoa, 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 whoa. Johnny... Ooh. 
Tapia? Yes, and I want a warrant to go into no, his no, mortuary. No, 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 no warrant, no warrant. What? For what? For what? For a bunch of dead guys on their way to med research? No. Every time we go after him, he sues us and wins. This shit stops now, or they'll fire us, disband TNT, and stick me in a fucking coffin. This is over now. What happened to whatever it takes? That was pre-vehicular manslaughter, not to mention Johnny Dapia. The fuck is that? Oh, shit. Running people over is not enough for you? Now you're into kidnapping? Captain, that man is a criminal, okay? We busted him at the... Me. I have so much brass up my ass. I could be playing the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love this Joey Pants part. That's yeah, great. Um, he caused them blood-sucking ticks, draining the blood of the department before Wu signed. And Mike mentions another warrant for John Tapia. And Howard immediately shuts that shit down. Floyd pops out of the trunk. Floyd is Michael Shannon's character. And adds to the party when uh, Howard can't even react because he's seen enough. He's just like, I, I can't with this. Like, on top of all this, you got a fucking guy in the trunk. Just, I gotta walk away. Um, and this is when Marcus tells Mike about his transfer. So, Marcus and his daughter Megan are, she's going on her first date. He's... <laughs> I love this scene. Yeah. This is like just this highlights like just uh like the brother relationship between Mike and Marcus and just how they're just both on the same page immediately. Like this guy's showing up to take Marcus's uh daughter out and they just gotta fuck with him. Like, shit, you're at least thirty. Like I just love that. I'd be like, one of I do I'd be the same way. If it was you or Sean or Justin or anyone else, I'd be the same way. My brother, obviously. But anyone, like, you know, who I'm close with, obviously. Um, and it, I, I do like this touch here because it's, it's got the whole... It's, it's, it's a bit corny, but I, I still enjoy watching it from time to time. Mike looks at the, the yearbook and reads the passage he wrote that says, We ride together, we die together, bad boys for life. And then we're introduced to Megan State Reggie. Are you? I'm Mr. Bennett. I'm Reggie. What you doing here? I came to take out Megan. What? I came to take out Megan. How old are you? I'm 15, Mr. Bennett. Motherfucker, you look 30. Show me some ID. I don't have none on me. You don't have no idea. Get your ass up against that wall. What the fuck is your problem? You think you know it all? You little young thundercats. You got joints on you? No. You smoke that shit? No, sir. You trying to get my daughter high? You smoke Mark. that shit? Yo, who that is, you That's dog? Reggie. Who the fuck is Reggie? Came to take Megan out. What you want? I'm here to take his, his daughter out. What's your name? Reggie. Well, no, I heard the motherfucker say your name, Reggie. You want you taking Megan out? Yes, sir. How old is you? Fifteen. Shit. You at least thirty. This is my. Can you fight? Yeah. You can fight. Mm -hmm. Oh, you moving, motherfucker. You can't fight. Look at Mike, you. Look. Mike. No, I, I want to know. If Somebody gonna take my niece out. I want to know if the nigga can fight. Somebody might come say something. Can't fight. She can't go. Megan's godfather. Okay. He just got off the joint. Why you putting all my business in the street? Why you putting all him? I just got out of jail and I ain't going back. I ain't going back. What's wrong with you? Acting all scared. You ain't never seen a gun before. Stop pointing the gun at the boy, man. Look, don't you disrespect me in front of company. All right, let the gun go off. You don't. You a big old tall, ludicrous looking motherfucker, ain't you? You rap? No. Move, n**k. 
Get out hey. the way. Hey. If I see okay. you on the highway, hey. get hey. the fuck out hey. of my hey. way. Hey, Mike. Now listen, have my daughter home at 10.01. If she ain't home at 10.01, I'm in the car, okay? Lock loaded and hunting your motherfucking ass down. Do you hear me? And I'm Pick going the fuck him. up, Reggie. And if I'm there, you know what it's going to be? Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. That's what it's going to be. Marcus. Oh, Reggie, baby, I am so sorry. One Please of the many me. highlights of the film. He's like, 10.01. I want my daughter back by 10.01 and a minute later. So, Dennis Green. He's the kid who plays Reggie. He showed up for shooting and was told by Martin Lawrence's bouncer that he mustn't look in Martin Lawrence's eyes or talk to him. And Lawrence himself was subsequently nasty to him. It was all a ploy arranged by Michael Bay, who wanted the boy to be genuinely scared of Lawrence. And it wasn't just Lawrence. It was also Smith, because Smith got in on it also. There's a lot of outtakes of of, uh, just the two of them just fucking with him before they actually, like, you know, got down to the actual filming. And it kind of goes into... Your your overall perspective of the film being mean, because this is pretty fucked up in real life. It would sure as shit never happen in today's standards on a set. Yeah, um, but it's it is pretty messed up. Like the behind the scenes, like the actual scene itself, especially as a parent, really isn't necessarily mean. Like yeah, they're mean to Reggie, but it's you know it, it's just like a rite it's, of passage. Like if you're a father, you're gonna fuck with. You but know, the point and, of this, and you have a daughter, you're going to mess with the, it. But the, yeah, the whole behind the scenes thing is fucked up. That is messed up. Yeah, but the scene itself, I just, I, I, I give it a pass, though, because we're establishing Marcus and Mike's brotherhood. And yeah, this is a too. way that they do it, you know. Like Megan, his little girl, first date, shows up. Of course, you're going to fuck with them no matter what's going on. You know, it's just. It, 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 it ties into the whole subject of friendship and brotherhood and, and love and, you know, it's so, yeah. Um, so we get back to the Spanish Palms mortuary. Mike and the team try and play things as super safe as possible so that Tapia doesn't walk away winning yet another lawsuit. So Vargas and Reyes show up pretending to be transporting a new body and they intentionally get called to the morgue. So it turns out this is a distraction so that Mike and Marcus can sneak into the mortuary to investigate and set up some hidden cameras around. Uh, Mike eventually finds what they were after, stat cash, and then he also eventually finds bags of ecstasy all inside the bodies. So the top of a man's head pops off, which causes Marcus to puke in the callback to their first film. Uh, Marcus accidentally consumes two X-pills when he thinks that he's filling an entire cup of water without anything inside to drink because he gets sick. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. This whole thing is gross. I, Uh, I would know if I'm taking two pills, but I don't know. You would, but... It's it's gross though, like this whole scene, like it, and I don't mean it uh, like the, the, the corpses and shit. The corpses, I forgot how nasty, like yeah. you know, like Will Smith is pulling out, like I think I got some. Nah, it's just his liver. Like it's just <laughs> this whole thing is just weird and fucking gross. Like I don't know why it needed to be so nasty. I guess so you feel yeah. the same way that Marcus does. 
I don't have a problem with it necessarily. I just forgot I, how gross I definitely this whole know. thing was. I, I actually give this scene a pass. I do. Um, so the Spanish Palm is mortuary. The actual building itself. It's a milk plant for MacArthur, uh, MacArthur Dairy. They added a fake... Fec, uh, they, they, Facade. They added a fake facade that matches the architecture through uh, which this is where they crashed the ambulance through. Um, yeah, and this is when the workers come back, so they hide. Mike is in a closet area. Marcus hides under some sheets on top of a big-breasted body. Fucking idiot. Like, why would you hide there? Like, even Mike Lowry is like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you hiding there? Like, it makes no God. sense. I don't know. Um, See, so they get Vargas and Reyes to, they order them to drive the, the, the sign for, uh, to cause a distraction. Because uh, Marcus is about to be found. So they eventually do, and they play dumb, saying the gas got stuck, which gives Marcus and uh, Mike... Mike and Marcus, they're uh, cue to take off. So then they head to the captain's house to show what they found so that they can get their warrant. And this is when Marcus starts to really roll. <laughs> He's rolling, man. <laughs> it, 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 those pills are kicking in. Take a look really close, Cap. Listen, we got everything that we need to take this dude. Oh, God. Oh. They're taking the organs out. Uh, get, you, right, right there, you can. You, yeah, if you look, they're. they're uh, oh, gosh. Oh. Oh, why are we out of here? This is good. That's horrible. Mm-mm. Look at this. Everybody Mm-mm. just needs to relax. Usa, Usa, Usa. What are you doing? Marcus, it's 2 a.m. Get your hands off me. Oh. Oh, remember we said we were going to uh, call Vargas and Reyes? No, I don't... Call Vargas! Tell him the thing we said to tell him. What thing? Tell him we said about yesterday. And tell him about the thing. So, Captain, listen. uh, We've also got videotape. Yesterday, we we fucked up bad, but we got him now. The... Oh, shit! What? No, a lot of times with these... Oh, shit! With what? No, um, we got video. We got... Fucking oh, let me see. I don't know. Oh, shit. Captain, he's shipping the drugs around the country in dead bodies. We found coffins full of cash tagged for Cuba. And you think Cappy's about to move out with all this money? Yeah, we get it. I mean, well, I love it when you call me banana. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I do, girl. You should see this sexy shit I got on. Who the hell are you talking to? I talked to Vargas and, um, Root Reyes. They said, um, uh, had they down for whatever. This is a nice fish, you know? Big fucking eyes, but a nice fucking fish. We need this warrant, Captain. But let's take this scumbag down. What the fuck is going on? He uh, ingested X. You okay, pal? Um, when in reality, two pills <laughs> would fucking fry him. He would, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I just find it hard to believe someone who's never taken ecstasy before would take two pills 
and, and be okay. It's, no. He he's not used to it, right. but just this whole scene. It's stupid, but it's it's fucking a highlight funny. for like sure. Lawrence, I love it, dude. I still I quote it like big fucking eyes, but a nice fucking fish. Like I say that to this <laughs> day all the time. I know you see him fucking drinking vase water. Yeah, like, yeah. In the background, <laughs> you see him got his fucking robe on, like just walking around, like. And then Will Smith is good too in this scene. He's like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Oh, oh shit. shit. Oh shit. <laughs> I love his reaction. It's great. And Joey Pants is like, "What? What did I mess <laughs> up?" Like he thought he fucked up the camera. Like this, they all work together very well in this they scene. Do. It, it's stupid, but it's very funny. It is. It really is. I like the way that they handled this. Uh, afterwards, they make him take a cold shower and make sure that he's going to be fine, which he should be in a hospital bed, but whatever. Um, hey, got a heart on finally. That's so, right. Call you know, Teresa. We didn't mention that ever since he got shot in his ass, he can't get <laughs> hard. So this fixes it. Uh, in case anyone was wondering, the fish that Marcus is referring to with the big fucking eyes is called a moor. And, um... Yeah, this film, this scene itself was just really hard to film because just Lawrence was taking that to another level with the comedy and everyone was just having to deal with that. They kept breaking and laughing and it looked like a bunch of fun to shoot. I'm not going to lie. I'm jealous I wasn't there for this shoot because it looked like they were all just having so much fun and I can only imagine how long it actually took. I also, yeah, I'm sure it took forever because I would fucking break too. Oh, yeah. If I was there watching that shit, I would break too. But also, I just want to mention Joey Pants' place in this scene. It looks like the sharper image took a shit with like the feng shui and the fucking Asia. Like, it's just such a weird, like, I guess, but cool looking house. I don't know. I just didn't expect Joey Pants to have that type of house, I guess. That. So the evidence is sufficient enough for Captain Howard to authorize a raid on both Tapia's residence and the mortuary in collaboration with the DEA and the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, when they go to perform this raid, however, Alexi shows up. Like, the worst fucking timing ever. Like, we got all this going down, and then Alexi shows up, just guns <laughs> blazing. Just it's like, I'm with you guys! Yeah. <laughs> He's ready to kill, but ends up being filled with bullets by the DEA. That's sad. Um, <laughs> I like the Lexi. So Mike and Marcus chase Tapia's speedboat via chopper down the uh, the Miami Harbor, but are forced to bail out. Well, it might not be a harbor. Whatever that is, that area. Um, on the water, we'll just call it that. So the Coast Guard, they, they fire and stop the boat. Then the celebration turns to shit getting real as Mike and Marcus find out that Sid's been taken. So tap yep, And you get your spinny cam. Oh yeah. You get your spinny cam right here, right around. Just them. like in the first one. Tapia demand <laughs> I can see them before they film in this scene. Like Bay like dusting off the old camera like remember this ring boys? <laughs> bring in the spinny cam. Bring him back the spinny cam. <laughs> been through, bring it in boys. Been through uh been through many 360 shots of this baby. So, uh... <laughs> Do you imagine, like, Bay, like, fucking filming his own wedding and, like, all the <laughs> interviews are like, Bay, great guy, great guy, great couple, and it's fucking spinning around them the whole time. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh shit. I think we gotta spice this shit up. Add spice some fucking explosions up. too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. Uh yeah, so uh Tapia demands the return of his money from the Miami PD, but that's just impossible and not gonna happen. So yeah. Um going back to the uh the scene with uh, Mike and Marcus chop chasing the speedboat with the chopper. The producers had to receive special permission. They had to get us uh, emergency relief of the manatee product protection laws from Florida Governor Jeb Bush to hold this high-speed boat chase in the Miami River. Um, back to the film itself. Captain Howard reveals that they fled the Cuba and that the U.S. doesn't negotiate with Cuban hostage-takers. So this is when Mike and Marcus agree to go out alone, but then they uh, form an unexpected, unofficial task force with agents from the DEA, TNT, and Captain Howard's contacts from the CIA to go in and get Sid back. You know, by the time y'all finish being diplomatic, my sister could be in a fucking box. This is bullshit. something stupid I'm in not here telling you how fucking crazy the sex delta guys are hey Marcus my brother Tito lives in Cuba he's a little crazy but he's hooked up with the underground weapons man a safe house whatever we need you can forget about passports baby and all that stuff because of the Cuban sketches I fucking love this part myself this part gets me going dude this is like yeah takes the film to a whole new level yeah it's like you would kind of, if you're watching this for the first time, like you're expecting, like it's wrapping up right now. Like, you know, yeah, initially going they're going to bust. Yeah. They're going to bust Tapia at the house. You're thinking you might see like a shootout or something at Tapia's house and that's going to be it. But Oh no, we got a whole fucking third act still to go. <laughs> Fuck you. You do. It's at least like 30, 40 minutes long too. Um, Captain Howard reveals. No, oh, wait. Got that back. I talked about that already. Never mind. Skip that. So, the team is inserted by the Coast Guard a few miles off the coast of Cuba where they rendezvous 
with a fellow officer's brother, Tito, who is head of the underground resistance in Cuba. So Tito assists the teams with weapons, a tunnel network, and an accurate mapping of Tapia's new mansion. It's also established that if the Cuban military shows up, it's going to be very bad. So Tappy is observing a painting of Jesus with his daughter and suddenly screams out that it's fucking depressing and all he wanted was little angels looking down on him. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, just a little thing, but like Johnny Tapia, like he's supposed to be the Cuban, like they're famously Catholic and he doesn't know what the Last Supper is. Just very surprised by that. I think pretty much anybody who's raised Catholic knows what the Last Supper is. A little surprised he had to ask his daughter what it was. <laughs> Good call. There's that. Um, so Mike and Marcus, they go ride inside of coffins together. We then see that there's iguanas outside that are setting off motion alarms, which alerts the team to go in now that they can. The motion sensors that are used um, are the same ones that Michael Bay uses in the shower scene for The Rock. Again, more on that next week. Same exact little ones you know, same design and all. So, this sequence here starts with the remote control car that shows up at the mansion and then rounds up as many of Tapia's men as possible who are out in the backyard playing soccer. So, once they get all rounded up as close together as possible, they detonate it, kicking off this fucking massive finale. Um, just... Rocket launchers and flames and gunfire galore. Tapia's men are gunned down. His team are all killed. Tapia's mother is knocked the fuck out by Vargas and Reyes. <laughs> this I know. I love the fact she has a shotgun. Like yeah. <laughs> she's all nice in all the other scenes, and she has a shotgun. But uh, you know, like literally, his whole fucking house yeah. is just getting blown up at this I'm point. Not even kidding. This finale might rival Pearl Harbor's big harbor attack sequences, the most total destruction in a Bay film yet. Until the Transformers movies, of course. Um, I, like I just, I, I do. Like, maybe I'm wrong. I Granted, I haven't seen Pearl Harbor in like 10, 12 years or so. But Not a fan of that one. I, I do. I, I saw it in the theater. I do like the movie still. It's just you have to give it time in between. It's not a movie you can go back and watch every year or so. You have to watch the film like that, like every... I I, I wouldn't say as, as much as a decade, or as long as that dec- decade, I don't know. Maybe every, like, six years or so. That's, I'm, like, me. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I like it. I just can't fucking ever watch it. You know, I just gotta watch it once a no, fucking decade. No, 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 I just feel like there's certain <laughs> movies where you can't watch, like, on repeat, and that's certainly one. So... Anyway, the mansion here, it's called the Birdhouse that they filmed in Delray, Delray Beach, Florida. The uh, mansion, because of course they didn't actually film in Cuba. Come on now. The mansion stood nearly completed and vacant for years before it was purchased. The new owner advertised in Variety for a movie company to use the mansion in a movie and blow it up. So by the end of filming, only the swimming pool was set Nah, was uh, was left. Um, Mike drives a fucking Hummer through a destroyed mansion for some bizarre reason, other than to <laughs> capture that weird shot of the Hummer leaving the mansion 
as some random soldier bear rolls in front of the camera and out of the shot. <laughs> um, Tapia pursues Mike, Marcus, Sid, and Tito through the countryside in the village of Hillside Shacks where cocaine's possessed and ultimately ends up outside Guantanamo Bay. And not recognized as U.S. citizens, the Navy personnel on the base shoot at both Mike and Marcus as well as Tapia's vehicles, prompting them both to stop as they enter an alive minefield. Oh boy, this fucking part. Yeah, I just want to rewind real Go quick. The whole Hummer thing, it is the most bay fucking chase. So you're in this third world country, Cuba. And this American fucking gas guzzling beast is just destroying these people's shanties and homes that are probably poor and have nowhere else to go. But fucking Mike and Marcus are wisecracking and just fucking trying to escape, destroying, like literally just fucking plowing through this hillside, like little shanty town. And it is just like the most bay thing ever. It's like America, fuck yeah. And it's just like destroying these people's lives as they're going through. But it's fucking awesome. (laughs) And I enjoy every second of it. Do you think that like again, they didn't actually film it in Cuba. You know what I'm saying? No. No, I know they didn't. I know. Oh, I you're talking the about the, the actual scenes. movie, like how it would like in the in the terms of the movie. Right, okay. Like you're watching this. I thought you were referring yeah. to them like showing up like big Hollywood production and like destroying this real village. I'm like, cool. No, it's not a real I, village. <laughs> I mean, it would. Yeah. No. I'm. I didn't also think the people that died got shot earlier actually died. You know, like it was obviously they filmed this shit like in Miami. I remember they built like the huge set for it. Like they built this huge shanty town. But I'm just saying as you're watching it, like I can just see Bay like you're going to be coming through this like little shanty town, the big Hummer, (laughs) boom, and it fucking explosions and it's just destroyed. It's just this like American excess that like Uh I could totally see other countries watching this and just thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what am I watching? And what are those Americans doing over there? Cause it is so fucking over the top and ridiculous, but I fucking, I'm there the whole time. I enjoy this whole ending sequence. Yeah. And it really all ends, uh, on this landmine, like field with this shootout going on. And it's, Honestly, a really bizarre finale with only a couple of rounds remaining and their weapons. Marcus manages to shoot Tapia in the head. <laughs> he fucking gets exploded. Like not only he gets nailed in the head, he falls backwards and fucking blows into pieces. Yeah, afterwards. dude, like, it just obliterate obliterates him. It just fucking uh, yeah, it, it yeah, blood carcass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so later we see Mike, Marcus, and Sid celebrating at the barbecue in Marcus's backyard with his family. Brand new pool that Mike decided to buy for him. And, um, and meanwhile, Marcus has decided also in turn to remain partners of Mike. And the film ends with Mike and Sid together still and everyone happily ever after after uh, dog kind of mirrors the earlier scene with the dog getting in the way and destroying the pool it happens again but this time mike goes out with them into the harbor and they sing the bad boys theme they try to sing it with the words (laughs) and they just it and it ends with them trying so yeah 
let's be honest. They sing it like everybody else sings it because that's exactly how oh, I yeah. would sing it too. Because everybody knows that chorus and then nobody knows the, any of the other words. Uh, could not agree more. And that is Bad Boys 2 from Michael Bay. Let's talk box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right, so the film had its premiere on July 9th, 2003 at the Regency Theater in Los Angeles, California before being released on July 18th, 2003 from Columbia Pictures. It opened up across 3,186 screens, opening up in first place, $46.5 million. Second weekend, it dropped a little bit. I didn't write down the percentage for some reason, but it went down to third place, $22 million. Uh, Total gross, $272.3 million against a budget of $130. Now, before you go saying, oh, that's great, that's great, they made so much money, not so fast. Now, I had thought that this movie made a lot more money than it did. Uh, However, doing my research and information taking for this category, I was kind of taken back because I thought that this movie was more along the lines of like four, maybe four and a half or 450 million uh not it's the overseas it's the overseas that killed it just because this movie was purely an american play like this movie wasn't gonna play well in most other countries i mean can you imagine this shit opening in south america like who the fuck's gonna want to watch that there (laughs) maybe maybe um it's a pure american play it was they still made money but it, it just blows my mind they gave them 130 million to make this movie I know the first Bad Boys was a big film, but it just blows my mind. An R-rated movie like this, $130 million. But if you're... That shit would not happen today. If you're, Not happen. If you're a regular listener to this show, then you should know my rule of thumb. When we're talking about marketing and stuff like that, you... Basically, when you're talking about, you know, a budget, like, for example, $130 million double that the budget was more or less closer to 250 260 million because yeah, I think you got to add in the marketing and everything and that's usually twice the budget i think it skews a little bit though it when does it's high budget of movies like they didn't spend 120 or 130 million marketing now did they spend a shitload yeah like it probably was 80 or 90 million, but it skews a little bit. I think the rule of doubling it is more effective at a lower budget. When it gets to this high budget, like obviously they pour a lot of money into um, promoting the movie, but I highly doubt that they spent the exact double amount of budget on promoting the movie. I mean, it was a modest, it was a modest success. I would say like it probably made some money for the studio. All right, core, let's take a walk. To the critics' corner. Let's see what they all had to say about the film. Fuck, I gotta walk. I know we do.
Alright, we're there. So, Bad Boys 2 has a Rotten Tomato score of 23% based on 183 reviews with the critical consensus saying two and a half hours of explosions and witless banter. It has a meta score of 38 out of 100 based on 34 reviews, a cinema score of A, and a not-so-positive review from Ebes. He gave the film one out of possible four stars, especially offended by one scene involving a teenage boy and the use of the N-word, saying the needless cruelty of this scene took me out of it and into the minds of its makers. What were they thinking? Have they lost had they lost touch with human nature that they think audiences would even like this? Who knows? Um Ebert's fellow critic partner, whatever you want to call him, Richard Roper, named this the worst film of two thousand three. But <laughs> no, I mean, if you don't like it, but you're not going to tell me this was the worst made movie of 2003. No. Wesley Morris, whose opinion I um, listen to, respect, from the Boston Globe, he gave the film three out of four stars and said the movie is a two and a half hour is two and a half hours of hard work and intensity. Uh, Mike Clark from USA Today gave it 1.5 out of 4 and said it's appallingly mean-spirited with ha-ha bull wounds and dismemberments. Peter Travers gave it 0 out of 4. Called it the cinematic equivalent of toxic waste. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love that line. I don't agree with it, but I love that line. Nice going, Travers. Um... Owen Gleiberman from EW Entertainment Weekly gave the film a B minus score and said Smith and Lawrence give good brass, but Bad Boys 2 proves that it's possible to pack a movie with so much popcorn that it leaves the audience overdosed. Uh, a couple more. Todd McCarthy from Variety said a simple cop buddy movie extended to. Um, Unconsiderable length in order to accommodate redundant action scenes, endless banter between stars Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, and several potential endings. This production suffers from serious overkill. Can't necessarily disagree with any of those statements. Yeah. Uh, and finally, James Berardinelli awarded the film zero out of four stars and said, Bad Boys 2 isn't just bad. It's a catastrophic violation of every aspect of cinema that as a film critic hold that that I as a film critic hold dear. So there you have it guys. Not really that loved. Um critically not before, really loved. Before we move on out of here, I just wanted to bring this up. Sure. So the guy who said it was the worst movie of two thousand three, keep in mind uh-huh. that from Justin to Kelly the Cat in the Hat and Kangaroo Jack all came out the same year, so fuck you, whoever so that did, was. So did Geely. And Geely, I, I don't hate Geely that much. I mean, it's a piece of shit, but it's not, I don't know, it's not that terrible to me, but yeah, a lot of shitty movies came out in 2003. I, 
I can understand why somebody doesn't like this movie. I completely get it. But to call it worse than those movies is just stupid. It's just dumb to me. Just say it's not your thing. All right, let's talk pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Pros for me, I got three. The cinematography is slick and gorgeous. Lawrence and Smith's chemistry is inseparable, and I mean that. And the action sequences are highly, highly, highly entertaining and um, are, are plentiful. They're, they're spread throughout. So, how about you, Core? What are your pros for this movie? Mine are pretty all similar to yours. Uh, You know, the number one pro is obviously the chemistry between the two. I really think that's what makes the film, the chemistry between Mike and Marcus. I think if you have different characters in there or even just change one of the characters or actors, I really don't think this movie works as well as it does. I know uh, in one of the reviews earlier it mentioned it was witless banter, and it is for the most part, but I think what sells it is just the chemistry between... Um, Will Smith and Mike, not Mike, Martin Lawrence, uh, just the <laughs> chemistry between them two on screen is unmatchable. Right. I, I think it makes the movie, it's what keeps me coming back for the uh, this movie, so that's my top pro. My next one is mm-hmm. the action, which is, like I said, the most bayhem of the bayhemiest movies. Just awesome. I mean, you got action in the beginning, in the middle, the end. You know, this movie's two and a half hours, but it does not feel that way at all. Like, it it feels like a normal length movie. I was surprised when I was re-watching it. I, was, I forgot how long this movie was, but it doesn't feel long at all. And that's down just to the awesome action set pieces. Does it all make a lot of sense or realistic? No, but it's fucking fun to watch, in my opinion. Um, so that was just awesome. And then my last one, like you brought up, just the base style. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he's perfect in all aspects. I'm not saying he's like the master as far as visuals go, but the man has a good eye. Like there's plenty of great shots in the film. Like even at the ending, like when the pool's rushing out, it's like golden hour, fucking beautiful in Miami on the bay. Um, but yeah, everything he does is just beautiful. The movement of the camera and some of the spots, it's a little much. But for the most part, I think it just adds to the craziness of the movie, just the way everything keeps moving. I know some people don't like that, but, you know, I appreciate it. So I appreciate the cinematography. I appreciate the direction by Bay. So that wraps it up for me for the pros. All right. Uh, cons for me. I I have two written down. Um but, but you kind of touched upon this uh, at the top of the conversation. Um, this film definitely contains some, some very, very, very dated humor. Very dated humor uh, throughout. And also, this film could have easily had roughly 30 minutes or so shaved. It is a long film, but uh, there are moments where it kind of, you know, dies down a little bit and gets quiet. But yeah. That. Um. No. 
How about you, Core? What are your cons? Uh, before I move on to the cons for me, I forgot my uh, other top pro. No Tia Leone in this fucking movie. That is one of my pros. <laughs> Thank Christ she is not in this. Gabrielle Union is such an upgrade in that like female uh, a role. Such a fucking upgrade. So I'll, you know, I Tia Leone not in this pro for me. But anyway, uh, seriously, one of my cons. Um, you mentioned it. The humor in this movie. Some of it's harmless. It's all pretty stupid, in my opinion. I think if you don't have Martin Lawrence and Will Smith in there, I don't think any of it works, really. Uh, I think they make it work, but um, there's certain spots. The humor is just so mean. I don't like the homophobic stuff. I don't like the body shaming and stuff like that. I just really don't like pointing laughing at people because of the way they look or Mm -hmm. who they love. I just really despise that type of shit. I'm not saying you can't have jokes, you know, about gay people or fat people or anything like that. It just has to be done in a very smart and non-mean way. And the whole time in this movie, it just feels like Bay's pointing and laughing. Ha <laughs> ha that person's fat or ha <laughs> they think they're gay, you know. And it's just not good. It's just very mean. It's that school bully mentality and there's no way around it, you know. Anybody who doesn't like this movie that points out as a reason you can't argue. I mean, it's in the movie It's part of it, uh, but it's just a con for me. It doesn't ruin the whole film. Um, God, now I lost my train of thought. Oh, and my, um, other con. Yeah. My other con is, uh, <laughs> Johnny Tapia. Not bad. I'm not saying Johnny Tapia is bad in this film. I think he's serviceable, but I really wish they had somebody just over the top. I'd have been fine with Peter Stromare being the main villain. He could have chewed the fucking scenery. Yeah, it would have been redundant from like Armageddon, like having him be a crazy Russian guy, just like he is in everything. But I would have took that as the main villain, honestly. At least he could, you know, gnaw on some scenery and kind of trade toe-to-toe with uh, Mike Lowry and uh, Marcus, you know? So I kind of wish they had slightly more over-the-top villain. But again, the villain's not bad in this. Just to me, it would be a slight upgrade having somebody over-the-top a little bit more. Let's do Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Alright, so I want to change one thing. And that is, I'm going to give Teresa Russell, I'm sorry, I'm going to give Teresa, well, it's actually the name of her character, plus the actress, Teresa Randall, Marcus's wife in the film, of course. Uh, I, I'm going to give her more than due overall. Um, sh- her, for some reason, I couldn't find out why. Um, maybe it was her choice, or maybe they just had so much bullshit crammed into this movie, he didn't have time for her after her much bigger role in the first film. She's just reduced to a cameo, more or less, in this movie. I think she pops up on like three scenes, doesn't even, you know, have anything big to do the way she did in the first film. And I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a missed opportunity. You know, this was supposed to be a reunion of sorts. And, you know, we got everyone back. But I just kind of wish I saw more with her. So, but that's just my little witty mulligan moment. How about you? My mulligan moment is the entire uh, electronics tour scene. I could have did without all that 
you know, obviously mm. I know they got to watch the tape uh, to get the clue of what's going on, but I could have did without it. I, I knew it was a bad scene before I was, I rewatched it for this, but every time I rewatch this movie, that scene just gets worse and worse uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier on my cons. So, you know, I'm not going to go into super detail. I just wish that scene was just really tweaked. I think uh, that whole scene in general just leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. I know everything's subjective. If you find it funny, you know, that's perfectly fine. If you like it, good for you. Uh, But I think that whole scene is just terrible. I thought it was funny back when I was, you know, 18 years old or whatever when I saw this movie. Not funny now. Not funny 20 years later. So, yeah, I could do without the whole uh, electronic store scene altogether. All right. Finger licking good. Finger licking good. Uh, the final half hour, it's just an all-out epic event, um, and I'm here for it all, every single second of it. Um, it's on point with the action and story finally coming together, and uh, hands down, by far, my favorite part of the film. So, that. You know, final half hour. Give it to me. Give it all to me. So, how about you? Where you at on this? For me, it has to be the same as you. The last half hour of the movie. Hell yeah. It's just it's just so over the top in such an American, bayhem, ridiculous way. You know, you have all these American guys just barging into this country, you know, completely, you know, It off turns the into book. a revenge film. Yeah. And I love me a revenge film. Like you have these like regular Miami PD cops, some of them at least. And now they're all in this mm. tack gear. It's it's like literally I think just about <laughs> every law enforcement officer's like wet dream is to do something like this, like just go into another country with all this cool gear and all their buds and just fucking destroy some drug kingpin's house or something like that. Like it just reads that way to me. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like it's fucking awesome. Like is it plausible? No. Is it ridiculous? Yes. Is it fun? Fuck yeah. Like, it, it's so much fun. Like, they just go fucking annihilate this guy's house, just wipe out all the cards, like, everybody. You know, how do they dig a tunnel that fucking fast? I don't know. Don't think about it. Just keep watching the fucking cool shit on screen. You'll have a good time. And, I mean, it's just, like, the whole Hummer, you know, it's, like, literally, like, I... The only way it could have got more American and ridiculous is if they had fucking sparklers and American flags, like, off on the fucking side of the Hummer, and you see fireworks shooting off fucking behind it as it's destroying the shanty town. And then the whole mine thing, just ridiculous. Like, did, did that need to be in there? No, but just fucking awesome and enjoyable. So, yeah, the whole 30, last 30 minutes, enjoyable. Let's talk about our... MVPs. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is. All right, so for me, it's Will Smith. I think Smith is in peak form here with his career. I think that started with Enemy of the State, which we mentioned in that episode, previous episode, by the way, did it back in January with the Spy Hards guys. Um, but yeah, I think that's when, um, he started to kind of plateau at that peak and, uh, it, it, it stopped, uh, and ended here. 
and uh, I think everything after this was kind of downhill compared to where he was, but um, it, it it still um, it, it 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 it's peak uh, peak form for him, in in this movie I, I I just think he's incredible. I think this film belongs to Smith in my opinion, regardless of how you feel about him today, after everything that's happened to him. Um, I still got to give credit where credit's due. And I think that uh, he essentially won the film. And he's my MVP. How about you? For me, for both these films, for one and two, it's always been Martin Lawrence. Like I said, I'm not a huge Martin Lawrence fan in the fact that I've never watched his stand-up, really. I, you know, I maybe saw a few things. I never watched his TV show. But he does pretty well in some movies, and I think this is you know, his highlight, just the reactionary humor in a lot of the scenes, like, you know, just a stupid bit where he shoots the gun inside the car, but just the look on Martin Lawrence's face right there sells it. And then the whole, you know, acid scene where, you know, it could easily just be stupid and cringy, which for some people might think it's that way. But for me, it crosses over to funny and that's just solely on Martin Lawrence just selling the shit out of it. I mean, you know, I still just that line of the fucking big fucking eyes, nice fucking fish. Like that still pops into my head (laughs) randomly for no reason. Other like literally today we were visiting some friends and they, their kids have a goldfish. And that was the whole, that was the thing I was thinking the whole time. Like I couldn't say it cause there was kids there and everybody else would just look at me like I'm fucking crazy. Cause no one would understand that quote that was there, but I was thinking it Mm -hmm. the whole time. So Martin Lawrence, to me, uh, obviously, the, like I said, the chemistry between the two is what makes the film. But I, if I just have to pick one, Will Smith is fucking awesome in this. But Martin Lawrence, just the the comedy he brings to this and the reactionary stuff and all the woosah stuff is just awesome. Mm-hmm. And I just laugh my ass off. So he has to be my MVP. Nice. All right, then. Let's move along to our... Final thoughts, where we give out our final ratings. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. All right, so I'm going to... Even though it's highly implausible in every sense of the definition, the action sequences and buddy cop cliches are enough to keep an old-fashioned action movie fan like me entertained for the duration of this insane 147 minute runtime that nobody asked for but got anyway um i understand it features elements that can make a person's head hurt from all the eye rolling it induces but at the end of the day this is trademark bay at his finest nobody creates action the way this man does and for that i'm awarding this Otherwise, three and a half film, a four star film, with all due respect. So there you go. Four stars uh, for me, for all the reasons I just said. Um, I, I just think that this is um, Bay in peak form. So, kind of curious to see what uh, your thoughts are. Yeah, so I know I had problems with the film. But it's still enjoyable. I'm still there for the ride. I still have a good time watching this film, even with its flaws. So for me, it's a solid 3 out of 5. It's a good movie. 
bordering on great, just drugged down. You know, I have to deduct a big point just for the humor and all the other things I said about that earlier. And then another point just for the sheer lack of any kind of cohesive plot or story. I mean, obviously, yes, there's a story, but it's fucking stupid. But, I mean, it's still enjoyable, you know. (laughs) So I have to knock it down for that. But, like I said before, this is Bay at his bayest. Like, this is him unrestricted. He doesn't have an IP like the Transformers to worry about. He doesn't have a PG-13 rating to worry about. He doesn't have budgetary concerns to worry about. Uh, He had enough clout that the studio couldn't tell him what to do. And this is what you end up with. Uh, You know, not his finest work in my opinion. I think like most artists, uh, he's better when he's checked a little bit more. Uh, You know, I've said this before, but The Rock is my favorite film of his. But as far as like just the Bayhem, when I just want to watch some crazy Bay shit and just turn my brain off, this is the movie to watch. Anybody ever ask you like, what is Bayhem? What is that all about? Put on this movie and just walk away and just let him sit and fucking revel in the two and a half hours and just wonder where the fuck this movie came from or how it ever got made because it would not be made today. Um, you know, it's just an enjoyable film. Like I'm looking forward to show my son and be like, yeah, that's how it was when I was a fucking teenager. Like I'm just looking forward to that day. Um, but yeah, three out of five fun fucking movie. I enjoy it. And I always enjoy watching Mike and Marcus and I'm looking forward to eventually covering the next film in the series. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this episode is sponsored by the 2003 nightlife. Grab those glow sticks and stuff those pockets with all the candy in the world because fly beats make you fly and high treats get you high. Come on, everybody. Jump right in. This is not a real sponsorship, nor is it an actual recommendation. We at the Film Effect condemn drugs and dated techno music. Again, these are the jokes. And that's going to be a wrap on our Bad Boys 2 coverage, a film that 100% gets that full Film Effect seal of approval. And, uh, yeah, one down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-going collection of previous episodes over at our website, which is, of course, thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please follow us on the following social media platforms for future announcements and up to the minute future updates and news. Facebook and Instagram, we're on there both at the Film Effect Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Film Effect Pod. We're on TikTok at Film Effect Podcast. And finally, all emails can be sent to the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. And we're now on YouTube. Subscribe today and enjoy various clips from past episodes uploaded daily and eventually we'll be hosting events that are still in the early stages of developing such as watch-alongs, live interactions, and much, much more. So stick around. Uh, You can leave us some ratings, reviews. We would love to hear from you guys. Um, Best form of uh, review is... um, Honestly, however you can do it, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or the filmeffectpodcast.com slash reviews. Um, we just want to hear from you guys. Just be honest. It helps out with the algorithm. And uh, yeah, that's that's about all I can say about that. And uh, check out some merch. Pick up some merch, I mean. Uh, we got Pride Month coming up. 
Grab your 2022 edition with all profits going to our favorite LBGTQ community charities, just like last year. It's something that personally means a great deal to me as my daughter Madeline is bisexual. So uh, go on and do that. Um, check out our fewer cast and Bayham month episodes. Uh, let's see, this month on Bayham we did... Last week, what did we do? Uh, we did uh, Armageddon. Painting Gain was Pain last week. That's right. Painting Gain, Armageddon, and Bad Boys. So much going on. It's so confusing. No. Um, and also, in a couple weeks, we have episode 100 dropping, which we mentioned before on FewerCast. We're covering The Shining. I'm excited. And um, Yeah. Yeah, I cannot wait. Um, and I, mentioned, I put something up on Twitter today. I'm going to mention it on the show. We want to hear from you guys. We want everyone to try and participate. So if you guys, you know, have a recording or you got, you got something that you want to type out that you want us to read on the air, um, the more the merrier. We'd love to hear from you guys. 100 episodes. Um, yeah. All yeah. you have to do is send us a message on Twitter or email us or email me, ed.filmeffect.com at gmail.com all by May 31st please because we want to record at the beginning of June because the episode drops on June 7th what were you going to say Corey? no I was just going to say you know I'm excited to do the episode because you know The Shining other than being one of my favorite horror movies probably in my top 5 favorite movies of all time it's a personal movie which uh, you know I won't spoil now going on the episode but it's a highly personal movie to me and my childhood and my family. So I'm just really looking forward to talk about it and to kind of go into that. You know, it it just lined up well that it's going to be a hundred episode or hundredth episode. And it's so personal to me. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. I mean, if somebody wants to throw a brick through my window with a note, I'll fucking read it. Like, just get the just get all the uh, different uh, recordings or notes or whatever you guys want out there because we'll have it all in there. We want everybody to be a part of this. We want to make it a big episode. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, next month, next month, next week, we wrap up Bayhem month with an episode on the rock. Bayhem's classic action film, his, uh, sophomore film. My that, favorite. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing that with my brother, Andrew. going to be me and him next month. It's going to be a Snyder brother affair. <laughs> Talking about ex- The Rock, the closeout Bayhem month. <laughs> I'm excited to hear uh, this episode because I really don't think, I don't know if Andrew even cares about this movie. I just think it just worked out that like I was doing Bad Boys. Originally, Sean was doing Armageddon. Justin chose Painting and I think Andrew just kind of got The Rock by default. <laughs> 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 and it's just, I'm interested to hear because like, you know, he's going to be on there for this one. I have no clue what he's going to say. I mean, in true Andrew fashion, will he even see the movie? Will he try to get this all the way through the episode without seeing the movie? Uh, you know, he better we'll watch the damn movie. He came over yesterday and I let him borrow it. So I, he's I'm got joking. My Blu-ray. I, I, know, I, know, I know. It's a fewer cast joke if you're not listening to it's the fewer cast. Exactly. Hey, listen to fewer cast. Uh, so yeah, that's going to put a fork in this episode. We'll talk to you guys on... Well, your cast this Friday. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Other than big fucking eyes, nice fucking fish. No, not really. See you guys. As the saying at the end of every episode goes, it's been fun, but now it's done. Take care now. Bye-bye.
Bye, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day.